Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is episode 295 of Alohomora for April 11th, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's in-depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. This is Grace Candido Beecher. I'm Allison Sigurd. And I'm Irvin Kateman. And I'm so excited to introduce our special guest for this episode, Dr. Jason Crean. Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you, everybody? Woo! I would clap, but it would probably mess up the audio. <laughs> uh, we clap gently, you know, like okay, golf claps. Okay, gen- gentle. Golf <laughs> yeah. claps. Yeah. Uh, so, Jason, you are a smarty pants biologist, uh, which is why we invited <laughs> you on our episode about pets. But tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm a biologist and an, I'm an educator um, at the high school and university level. Um, at the university, I teach courses like zoo biology. Um, I run a live animal education program. So I guess you could say I have 150 Ooh. plus pets um, that uh, we care for. Um, and uh, I'm a zoo consultant as well. So I work with some pretty cool animals as well. Uh, and what's your Harry Potter house? Uh, so every test I have ever taken has always put me in Gryffindor, um, including a secondary Gryffindor. We have a Gryffindor on the episode? Do, do we have a full a full set then? Grace, what house are you? I'm Slytherin. You're Slytherin, aren't you? <gasps> Guys, I think we have a full set. <laughs> oh we my have God. a full set. <gasps> this is like yes. a cold, dark heart. I love this. I love <laughs> Look this. Look at us all great. together. A weird family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pets bring everyone together. Oh, that's precious. Okay, sorry. Keep going. Okay, uh, I met Jason at uh, the Harry Potter convention circuit where I've gone to his presentations on the biology of the beasts. And these presentations are so cool. I have so many pages of notes from these lectures. Um, and fun fact, Jason won't even be distracted if you show up to his presentation in a loincloth. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that. Irvin is the one and only attendee to any lecture I've ever given who showed up in only a loincloth. What? Oh my god! What okay. were you cosplaying, Irvin? I was cosplaying creature the house elf. He oh, did I knew a, it. I knew this was pan. the one. He brought a frying pan. Yeah, I had a frying pan and I had Slytherin's locket on my chest, and I had elf ears with like white hair coming out of the ears. Oh my god! Um, and a loincloth. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't I don't remember much else outside of that loincloth, but I do remember <laughs> the frying pan. 
this, oh my god. This is this is amazing. This is hilarious. This is only on Alohomora, guys. This quality yeah. cosplay content. This is yes. the only place you're gonna get it. The most comfortable cosplay I have ever done. Oh my gosh. It was cold <laughs> in that room. It it was. Alright, Archie. Archie at the Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> yeah, the healthy breeze. It was nice. <laughs> Jason, what's your background with Harry Potter? <laughs> um, so I basically, my godson was the same age. And so we pretty much grew up with Harry Potter. Um, and he left the the fandom a bit and I'm still in it. Um, I, I'm not ashamed to say I have a Harry Potter room in my house. And um, I've, you know, I've done the books repeatedly. Um over and over again. Um, and I know Irvin's not going to like this, but I am a fan of Fantastic Beasts as well. So for obvious reasons. Good. We'll have lots to talk about. Today. Oh, I like Fantastic <laughs> Beasts as well, but I feel like I probably like it for weird reasons as per usual. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I really like the book. I like the book Joe Rowling put out. Uh, in one, I have it right here. It's an excellent book. Oh, no. I'm so afraid of being torn apart because Irvin knows everything. <laughs> oh, no. I'm here for you. I'm terrified. Irvin, I don't agree on anything, so I'm here y- yeah, for you. Yeah, it's just going <laughs> to be how it goes. But I mean, it, and, and just, just so you know, like, I when I read Harry Potter, I see. I think Joe was a closet biologist um, because the basic rules of biology do hold with... Many of the things, I know we're not going to talk about trolls or anything here, but, um, like, there's basic evolutionary rules of species divergence that is part of her literature. So, oh my gosh, I don't, I I don't know if she did this on purpose, but, um, that was the impetus for me creating HarryPotterBiology.com. Um, oh my so god, that's so it out. cool. I'm obsessed. It, it is amazing. so very cool, you guys. That sounds incredible. But don't, don't have a troll as a pet. Nobody wants a troll as a pet. That's no. so sad. No. I wouldn't. No. I mean, if you could teach them to bathe, though. <laughs> I don't no. know. I mean, would that be easier or harder than teaching them ballet? Because people did not succeed at that. No. Ballet is a very difficult task. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, you may also realize that we have another uh, new-ish voice on on the show. Uh, we are introducing a brand new host, um, that you've actually probably heard before because she has guest hosted multiple times. Yeah. I've usually, you guys just can't escape me at this point. I just keep sending stuff in. Uh, yeah. She is our, our resident uh, Tom Riddle lover, our resident Bellatrix cosplayer, and it's <laughs> Grace. So Hi. welcome back, Grace. Yeah. We're so glad to have you joining us kind of more permanently. Yeah. Uh, I guess actually not kind of, but actually. Actually permanently. permanently. <laughs> yeah. And to, to quote your favorite, Grace, it's a lifetime of service or death. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There's only bad Tom Riddle quotes that I know, so I'm not going to even quote him on this. But uh, on a more serious note, I am actually very honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast and I love the community around it. And uh, y'all are amazing. So thank you for having me. And we are so happy to have you. And yeah. I can finally stop like using my phone of friends to call Grace. Be like, <laughs> Tom Riddle, wait, according to Grace Candido, the expert. <laughs> now I can just be like, Grace, you tell him. I just know, I know, I know too much about, he takes up too much of my mental space, you guys. I have to, I have to have it leak out somewhere. So this is the podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> Here it is. But, but thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. 
Oh, and I'm so happy to have you. Uh, like, Grace and I are friends from also the convention circuit. We met at Chestnut Hill Conference, mm-hmm. where she gave a brilliant presentation on Tom Riddle, and I'm like, we'll be friends. <laughs> and he gave an incredible presentation on uh, Dumbledore that convinced me to look into his character more, so... Thank you very much. Yeah. I love me some Dumbles. He's weird. Gotta question him. <laughs> yeah, we have fun. All right. Now that you know everything about who's going to be talking at you for the next, like, hour and a half. Um, <laughs> hour and a half, episode, if we're lucky, I guess. We've got yeah, a lot of notes. Yeah, hour and a half is optimistic, let's be honest. Uh, this episode, uh, we're going to be discussing pets in the world of Harry Potter. Uh, this topic was suggested by Susie Lynn and Karen. So thanks, listeners. Uh, great suggestion. Uh, and if you have a suggestion for a future topic, please visit our topic submit page on alohomorepodcast.com. And this episode is sponsored by Danielle Cooper on Patreon. Yay! Claps. Yay! Golf claps, golf claps. Thank you so much, Danielle. Um, listeners, you can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. We've got a lot of really great content coming out, especially right now that we're all in self-isolation. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're trapped. <laughs> it's true. Um, we're doing a lot of really fun stuff. We're calling it a low home mora because we're all at home. And a lot of that is getting released um, to our Patreon sponsors. So go to patreon.com slash alohomora to find out more. And now it's time for our shout out Maxima. Uh, and this is for the comments on episode 292, which was our listener takeover episode, uh, where Grace, uh, did such a great job at, uh, kind of leading the discussion there, actually. Oh, thank you. And the comments were as brilliant as the episode itself, uh, so I highly urge you all to go to that comment section. But our shout out Maxima goes to Lisa, who talked, um, who said that Umbridge is more hated than other villains because she has no positive qualities mentioned about her. Voldemort and Beldrix have their charisma and their looks, um, and Harry describes them in flattering terms, and they're powerful. Umbridge is described as looking like a toad and not particularly powerful either. Um, and Lisa then talks about how she respected Umbridge because she called out the fact that Trelawney's a hack and Hagrid's a bad teacher, which, agreed. Um, but, uh, she continues, it's just that the description of Umbridge on all levels is negative. Harry finds nothing fascinating there, while he's more fascinated by Voldemort and Bellatrix. Um, do we think Umbridge would have been this hated had she been described as beautiful? Um, Lisa doesn't think so, um, and she agrees that she's a more, quote, real evil than Voldemort, but she's not less of a caricature for that. Uh, in fact, she's, um, more so, at least to me, because she's very one-dimensional in the books. Uh, this is why Lisa doesn't bother why, doesn't get why people bother hating her. It's like hating one of Cinderella's ugly stepsisters. She also then goes on to talk about how Barty Crouch Jr. is so damn impressive, which, like, there's nothing to discuss because Barty Crouch Jr. is so damn impressive. I know, for real, though. Wasted in the fact that he died so quickly. I know. Well, it's because if he didn't, like, the bad guys would have won. Like, Harry and company could could (laughs) not deal with Barty Crouch Jr. um, as a nemesis. That's what we we need, guys. Real challenge. Bring him back. (laughs) So, um... So then we just all started talking about why Umbridge gets such a bad rap compared to everyone. Um, I made the point that um, it's because Umbridge has no redeeming qualities. Um, Voldemort is very charismatic, like most sociopaths are. Uh, but I also think it's because many of us relate to facing down in Umbridge, like yeah. you know, in our school careers or whatever, um, much more so than we have any experience fighting Dark Lords. 
Um, and then Blood Charm chimed in to say that, uh, there might be a sexist tinge to how people feel about Umbridge. Um, like the fact that her clothes are ridiculed when we first see her. Um, and you know, would she be as unlikable if she were a man or would people sort of forgive her the way some people, not us, uh, forgive Snape because he's tragic? <laughs> ooh, ooh, throwing it down <laughs> right right I, I i agree with her like a billion percent on this i think that i've got i've got nothing but love for this for my favorite toad teacher um she's crazy and i love it <laughs> i think you're right though i think that it's the element of we've all faced an umbrage to some degree mm-hmm. in our yeah. lives, you know? At, whereas the kind of mythological kind of evil of someone like Voldemort, like, it's more mythological, right? Like, we don't necessarily see it in our everyday to day lives, but everyone is going to come across an umbrage in their life. And yeah. so everyone has that personal connection, I think, that makes that, like, how much they despise her so much more personal. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like, like it's, exactly. a, it's almost an unfair comparison because what, what we're looking at is a, a, an actual like full blown psychopath versus someone like Umbridge who, who literally is just, as far as we see it, sociopathic slash just power hungry to a certain extent. Yeah. And I've, I haven't done any full just really blown, sadistic, like, right? studies on her, Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah. I I still think the worst thing she does is that is that quill. Like to this day, that quill just like mm, yeah, blood boiling. Like cannot believe. Yeah. Like mm-mm, mm-mm. well, like, like <laughs> so. Um, in high school, uh, we had an assistant principal who was so very umbridge like. So I drew up a chart of Umbridge's educational decrees, and my assistant principal's either enacted or proposed regulations. The only one missing was the one making herself the principal. We oh. hit up all the others. Dang. Yeah. So wait, he yeah, cut so, your hands? <laughs> uh, no, because that wasn't an educational decree. Um, and also, it was a she. Uh, but uh, she didn't look like Umbridge. Oh, she was like very tall and statuesque. Um, but yeah. Uh, I had so a. Um, we, we did not like each other. My high school econ teacher was kind of the worst. Yeah. Like she was just a terrible teacher, but one kid had a lot of guts one day and went and told her to her face, "You kind of remind me of Professor Umbridge." Oh, and she was like, who's yikes. that? Like she had no idea. Oh no, he and didn't. everyone in the class was just like, "Look at the desk! Look at the desk! Look at the desk!" Holy, that hell. is amazing. Yeah, my first, yeah. My, my when I first started teaching, one of my first bosses was Umbridge, and the inside didn't match the outside. She was sickeningly sweet, but people like this are very good at making you feel like you're alone and you're the mm-hmm. only one, and so they're very good at dividing and conquering. Which obviously, the literature here, you know. Joe must have had experience with someone like this, clearly. Yeah. But, you know, just yeah. that whole divide and conquer, making you feel like you're the problem and you're alone, um, that's what makes me irate when I meet, you know, other people like that. Yeah. Uh, could it also be the fact, because um, I, I go back to the Umbridge Snape thing, the fact that no one can relate to Umbridge in any way, right? Because, like, with Snape, like, everyone has unrequited crushes or whatever, and then we got the... F- over it, yeah. unlike him. Uh, <laughs> but, like, at least we can relate to that part um, where, like, you know, we've all been outcast or bullied um, or been in love with someone who didn't reciprocate. Whereas Umbridge, like, 
I mean, I really hope none of us share, like, her sadistic impulses, um, or her, like, need to control every facet of people's lives. So I think that's the, like, no redeeming aspect to her. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we, like, there's, there are some characters in the series that we are allowed to spend time with and begin to understand, and in some cases fall in love with, and in some cases just learn to hate more. Um... And as readers, as like a writer of of a book, I feel like you only have an economy of pages of doing that. Like, I don't think that she had the space to allow us to understand Umbridge to the full extent that we understand other characters. And because of this, we sort of project a lot of our anger at the real world individuals that we know that reflect her attitude. But when she gave us more about her... Yeah, but that that Nobody was likes that, that wasn't part of the the books, yeah. though. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. But that made me even angrier. Like, yeah, listen yeah. because nobody likes a hypocrite. Yeah, and that, and that's the other thing is like her hypocrisy because like she judges other teachers, but she's a horrible teacher, and she's all about blood purity, but she's mm-hmm. not a pure blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like yeah, that part of it uh, just really rankles. It's it's an it's an interesting character trait that she should feel the need to cut others down for a crime that she herself is guilty of. And I feel like that within itself might warrant further study because if if you are projecting your internalized hatred onto others, that means that like there's a serious issue here. And I want to know what that issue is very badly. <laughs> well, that's very much a rolling thing where, like, her big bads are hypocrites. Because, like, mm-hmm. Voldemort is the same thing. He's also a half-blood. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff with that, guys. But, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you, listeners, for your brilliant comments, as always. And I cannot wait to continue the discussion um, on our Alohomora forums. Uh, and now, uh, it's time to move on to our main discussion about pets in the Harry Potter world. So, yeah. Allison, I believe you have some words from Joe Rowling on the topic. Yeah, so I thought we, we should probably start kind of with, uh, distinguishing pets versus anything else animal-wise in the, in the wizarding world. So this is, this was from, uh, Pottermore. Rest in peace, Pottermore. Um, <laughs> From J.K. Rowling that says, Familiars, in the strictest sense, do not exist within the world of Harry Potter. Although Hogwarts students are permitted to bring animals to school with them, the cats and rats we see there are, broadly speaking, pets. Ironically, the animal that acts most like a traditional familiar in the entire series is Mrs. Norris, who belongs to the castle's only non-magical inhabitant, Argus Filch. It is true that owls are sent as messengers within the series, but this is in the context of a highly organized postal service, not unlike Muggle Pigeon Post. So... I guess this is an interesting thing because Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
if you know anything about folklore of witches <laughs> and magic, um, this idea of the familiar or like the witches animal companion, basically, mm -hmm. whether that's a, a toad or a cat or a bird of some sort, whatever. Um, think all the Disney villain pets <laughs> uh, in some ways. God, I love me a Disney like, villain. Yes. <laughs> like all the ravens. They also yeah. have ravens. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. uh, but what about Flotsam and Jetsam, Ursula's eels? Oh my That's God. True. Why are all of the villains such fabulous bitches? I yeah. love so, them. Uh, one day I cosplayed Flotsam for the mermaid parade and I made seven little kids cry. <laughs> uh as you should. Those things are creepy. Yes, ass. it was terrifying. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so so those don't really exist in in the Harry Potter world. Um, we do just have pets, but it is interesting to see though how many of these pets seem to have really true, deep connections and kind of reflections of um their their owners which actually speaking of disney makes me think of that kind of opening scene in 101 dalmatians where pongo is watching all the dogs and their owners go by and they all kind of match <laughs> oh my god that is so true yeah yeah so so we we are mostly focusing when we've got animals they we are mostly talking about pets um but she does have a couple other points about certain kinds of pets that we'll we'll bring up as we go along <laughs> yeah um and so uh even though not all the characters follow this <clears throat> ron um you're only allowed three different types of pets uh at hogwarts which is cats um owls and toads which um i thought was an interesting choice so like it's probably just a practical choice right on both the part of like the hogwarts administration and joe Rowling, because like dogs require a lot of attention and care and you gotta like take them for walks and stuff. And I think just, like, Joe Rowling and the Hogwarts administration were like, no, nah, we, we can't be bothered. Like, no dogs. <laughs> but, but listen. Okay, we'll get to this later, but owls are even harder to take care of. It's true. Not magical owls, though, but we'll get to that. Um, Sirius Black, you know, at some point was in his animagus form and, like, walking around acting like he was James Potter's pet dog. Like, we know this happened. <laughs> Like, you know, they were walking around Hogwarts and everyone was like, James, what's that dog? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's my pet dog. You know? Now, do you think they did that in the reverse where Sirius walked around with a pet stag? No, because that's <laughs> But like, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, that happened. And McGonagall was like, Potter, you can't have a dog in here. And he's like, but Professor, <laughs> he's house trained. At which point Sirius probably pees where Most he's standing. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that happened. Yeah. Um, and like Ron sneaking scabbers in, everyone is always like, oh, how'd he get a rat in? And I'm like, who the hell will notice if you have a pet rat? Especially like, one that like doesn't seem true. to require any upkeep whatsoever. Like he he I, yeah. I he feeds him like maybe a twice in the book. Mm -hmm. And it's like tonic in book three. <laughs> so Alison, to your point um about like pets being a reflection of their owners. I think that's very much, like, a thing in the Harry Potter universe. Because just, like, I went down the list in my head. So, Fox, just like Dumbledore, is, you know, powerful, majestic, mysterious. Um, Beautiful. Style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, flashy, He's if got you will. style. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hedwig is really unusual among owls and stands out in a crowd, um, just like Harry. And she's also somewhat touchy when she feels betrayed. Uh, by loved ones. I love mm -hmm. that. <laughs> um, 
Pigwidgeon, just like his owner, is a huge show-off and loves attention. I adore him. You know, uh, I feel that to my core, though. Right? And Crookshanks, just like Hermione, is laser-focused on his goals, uh, does some morally questionable things in the service of, you know, <laughs> what he considers the greater good. Um, <laughs> and also, Crookshanks originally had trouble making friends in the Magical Menagerie. Oh, oh poor true. baby. Kind of just, like, jumped on Ron's head, too. Just like Hermione kind of jumped on the dirt on Ron's Exactly. Oh, oh, that is very cute. And Ron hated Crookshanks at first, too, but then really came to trust Crookshanks. <gasps> oh. <laughs> That's probably the best example of a reflection of the owner. Yeah. I love it. I mean, yeah. I love and it. just to complete the yeah. list, um, Fang isn't as scary as he looks, just like Hagrid. And Fang is also a slobbering mess. Just like Hagrid a lot of the time. I love him. Uh, and just like his owner, uh, Nagini is a snake. <laughs> I love that that's it. We'll get into this later. I feel like, I feel like there's, there's a, there's some, there's something to talk about with Nagini. Jason, is this a thing? Like, is this a thing with animals, Jason, that like they often. You know, it's, it's, it's strange because I think certain people, certain personality types tend to, gravitate towards breeds that fit their own personality type, if that makes any sense. Um, so I, I mean, I, whether, whether it's the pet influencing the personality of the human or vice versa, I think is anybody's guess, but I see it go both ways. What does it say about me? I want a Labrador. <laughs> <laughs> that is so yeah, appropriate. <laughs> well, and we see that with Hermione's choice of Crookshanks. Cause like, she takes him because um he's an outcast and nobody yeah. wants him. And she's like, oh, poor baby, I relate to you. Come home with me. And she's also like, and he's gorgeous. Look at him. <laughs> yeah. And, and Harry is like, well, he's gorgeous, I guess, if you look past the squashed face. I would also you love you love Crookshanks because of that squashed face. Or yeah, um, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Also, Crookshanks is really fluffy, like Hermione's oh, hair. God. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> and cute. do you think it took four years for Ron to realize Crookshanks is a cat? What? Ah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that took me a second. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um. So yeah, uh, just thought that was an interesting uh, thing to keep in mind, an interesting sort of lens uh, to sort of, yeah, keep with us as we go through the pets sort of one by one. Uh, so uh, who should we start with? Let's start with the most important, the best, the number one. Hedwig? Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. Of course, Hedwig. Who else would I be talking about? <laughs> Nagini, of course. That's. <laughs> no. I mean, my, that's Fox, what my obviously. mind went to. Yeah, my mind went to Fox. Which, yeah, the Dumbledore Voldemort thing is what's already happening. <laughs> this is going to get interesting Whatever. real quick, guys. You people with your fixations. Hedwig is the most important. I am, I am going to shoehorn Tom Riddle into every conversation. <laughs> if it kills me. Um, all right, let's get to Hedwig because actually Harry's my second favorite and I love him very much. And he loves Hedwig and I do too. Uh, I... I don't know, looking back at the books, I felt like Hedwig symbolized a lot of, like, childhood and innocence themes yeah. that run throughout. And um, since Harry gets Hedwig right at the beginning of his journey into the magical world, she kind of acts as this, like, introduction to magic 
and like all the excitement and wonder that comes with it. But I feel like her death at the uh, during like book seven, it was kind of the idea of like the death of innocence. It's like one yeah. of the final barriers between him and sort of not his destiny, but like the the weight that's been placed upon him. And I cried like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Dead wig gets me right in the field. Oh. <laughs> Um, I do like, too, that Hedwig is very much a surprise to Harry. Oh, like, yeah. He's not, he's not expecting Hedwig at all. And Hagrid is just like, you've got to have a birthday present, so I'll get you an owl. Everybody wants an owl. And Harry's like, what? So, <laughs> building on that, Hedwig is actually the first present Harry ever receives. I thought that was like, the cake, right? You know, I mean, I don't know if the cake counts as a yeah, it present. counts, yeah. Look, Irvin, okay. it's the first, Irvin, it's the food first always true, counts. Always. Yeah. It's true. Well, because, okay, Hedwig is the first one that is referred to as a present. Okay, yes. all right, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, glad we the got cake this distinction. Is like, Hagrid, like, I got Summit for you. <laughs> um, and, like, uh, the fact that uh, she dies in Deathly Hallows, I think, mean, shows how Harry's journey in Deathly Hallows is going to have to largely be without help from other people. Um how it's sort of just going to be uh, him and sort of, you know, the resources he's amassed at this point. Um, and how he sort of can't rely on, like, gifts from other people to help him out. That's so sad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I feel like it's it's the beginning of the, the general feel of the, the general malaise of this book where it's just like, oh, that's how it be, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, also, like, all of Harry's most prized uh, gifts are blown up because not just Hedwig but the Firebolt. Oh, Ooh, you're right. Yikes. Yeah. It. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. Don't make me cry. <laughs> <sighs> but so let let's talk about Hedwig a little bit more. Yeah, though, because I I looked up a few of the things that she may be named after. And, um, cause I, I love, I love where the names come from in these books and they're usually pretty interesting. Um, uh, she might be named after St. Hedwig of, and I don't know this word. Of Andex? Andex? Po- possibly. Know. But, uh, she is the patron saint of orphans. There's St. Hedwig oh, who is- Oh, oh my god! Yeah, exactly! Oh, especially I was not Harry ready says, for that! Harry says, Harry says Hedwig is the only living creature at Privet Drive that, like, doesn't What's flinch it? at the sight of him. <laughs> Why you gotta do this to my cold black heart right now? <laughs> oh my god. Hedwig is too much for me. Oh. But uh, there's St. Hedwig, uh, Queen officially King of Poland. There's a St. Hedwig's Day. I, that one's a little bit less relevant. There's also Hedwig, who's a Scandinavian name that means female warrior or um, or battle. And it's poignant like. seeing as she did die in battle. So I also like that Harry mentions that he found her name in a history of magic, which I think is literally the only thing Harry picks up from a history of magic. (laughs) What a shame. He's just like, right? I was flipping through a book and I saw this name and I liked it. And so I named my owl that. I love history and I feel like history of magic should be one of the best courses. It really should. It's not. Yeah. But. That's fine, well, I guess. Harry shows, like, an interest in history of magic. Like, he reads through the textbook, which, like, is not a Harry-like behavior. No, it's not. Um, and then as soon as he walks to Professor Binz's class, he's like, nope, f*** history of magic, never gonna think about it again. <laughs> you guys! Your language! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna watch my f***ing language. <laughs> I love this. 
<laughs> sorry, this is, Patrick. This is my, my bad behavior is just sort of rubbing off yeah. now. Patrick, I'm not sorry. I be who I be. <laughs> anyway. I know we'll talk about owls again later, uh, possibly. But um, in a lot of cultures, owls bring are bringers of change. And, you know, it starts right in the first book when Harry is introduced to Hedwig and that really signifies this major change in his life. And then every time he brings him something, it results in some kind of change throughout the book. So, and, and even when, even when she dies, um, that signifies, you know, an, an even bigger change. So there's just this constant theme of Harry's life changing constantly, um, that uh, every time Hedwig comes around, there's there's a change, whether it's good or bad. That is so cool. I never thought I of it that, that way. Yeah. One I of the that. saddest moments um, regarding Hedwig is, like, how Harry shoots the messenger in Order of the Phoenix, where, like, she shows up with Sirius's reply, and Sirius is like, Oh my god, I'm coming to you because uh, the world's ending. This might be Goblet of Fire. It's Goblet of Fire. I'm so sorry. Uh, in Goblet of Fire, Harry writes to Sirius, and Sirius responds two months later, and he's like, oh my god, you're scratch-hurting, I'm coming back. And Harry's, like, so upset, and he, like, snaps at Hedwig. He's like, I don't have any treats for you. And Hedwig is, like, so offended, and so am I. <laughs> because I'm like, this owl just flew two months to bring you a letter from your godfather, and you gonna snap at her? Listen, though, Harry does that all the time. Like, <laughs> I know, and not cool. You know Don't who else does that, Not just to Hedwig. You know who else does not that? Not just to Hedwig, though. <laughs> There's another character who shows very, very similar traits for Riddle. having a sh- having a short fuse for bad news, guys. Yup. <laughs> At least Harry doesn't kill anyone. Um, speaking, speaking of owls, though, actually, uh, J.K. Rowling wrote a really cool piece on owls in the wizarding world, um, on Pottermore in 2015. And like, I just want to hit the highlights of this because it's so cool. Um, so she talks about how the old British superstition that it is unlucky to see owls flying by daylight is readily explained. For when wizards break cover to send messages by day, something dramatic must be afoot in the magical world. Muggles may subsequently experience the unpleasant aftershocks without any idea of their cause, (laughs) which I just think is so cool. Um, and then she kind of talks about how they're used. Uh, they're the most faithful and reliable and common method of sending messages. Um, and why? Because they operate under the cover of darkness. They have exceptionally well-developed night vision. They are agile, stealthy, and capable of aggression when challenged. Um, and she also talks about that they are kind of specifically almost inclined towards magic. And they've been bred um to be able to uh, find anyone who they have a letter for, um, even without an address. Uh, And that magical owls um, have certain other abilities that other owls don't. And she also says, this is kind of like, uh, because I didn't know that snowy owls especially were really bad at this. (laughs) So she talks talks about... um, uh, so she says, I made a few elementary mistakes when it comes when it came to my depiction of Hedwig. Firstly, snowy owls are diurnal, i.e. they fly by day. Secondly, they are virtually mute. So Hedwig's frequent hoots and chirps of approval and comfort <laughs> should be taken as signs of her magically enhanced abilities. Oh, my God. Thirdly, 
As countless well-meaning owl lovers and experts keep writing to me in the early days, owls do not eat bacon. Hedwig enjoys a bit of bacon ride when she delivers post at breakfast. Because she is taking on the characteristics of her owner. Exactly. So I love how basically (laughs) Joe was like, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's magic. Oh, my <laughs> because God. Because I feel like we have to do that sometimes when we're like, we can't explain something. It's magic. Just like do the little finger wave. Ooh, it's magic. Um, she also has a really cute story about Errol um, and how when she had in, she had in mind this picture she had seen a very long time ago of this large, fluffy, bewildered-looking owl, but she didn't know the breed. Um, and she was like, did I imagine it? Did I, like, change it somehow? And then she went to uh, the Avery at Leaveston when they were filming the first movie and saw a line of big, gray, fluffy, bewildered-looking owls blinking back at me, each an exact replica of the half-remembered picture I thought I might have dreamed. They were all playing Errol, and they are great grays. <laughs> Oh jeez! Yes. So that also, just like makes me really happy. <laughs> there, okay, there is another paragraph here um, that <laughs> loves me. So it is possible to protect yourself uh, from all correspondence or <laughs> all but that carried by a specific owl. If a witch or wizard is determined not to be contactable by a persistent creditor or an ex-boy or girlfriend, they might try a masking spell specific to that person. But this ploy is easily circumnavigated by asking somebody else to send the owl. Uh, in general, it takes strong protective magic and a willingness to forgo a lot of birthday cards to avoid the attentions of owl posts. So I just love that Joe Rowling has thought about spam filters for owl posts. <laughs> oh my god. That is so cute. It's just... I just love the concept of owls in these books. Like, I just adore it. I okay. think they're the reason... I like owls, like, just because yeah. I'm like, I want, I want a magical owl. I mean, owls are great in general, but, like, the, I feel like from, I, I'm, I've been playing a lot of D&D lately, guys, of, tra- of it's in general, not even being <laughs> trapped indoors, I just play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. That is, like, the most overpowered owl, like, the, the system of transport, it can find anyone, it's amazing. That is wild. I mean, Hedwig finds Sirius when Harry addresses the letter to Padfoot, right? And he just has to be like, it says Padfoot, but like, it's for Sirius. And Hedwig's like, got you, be back soon. Like, I am yeah. so surprised that like the Order didn't use that more often for like finding the baddies, I guess, or like just finding people in general. <laughs> I mean, Joe Rowling said it in she that like, you can't track an owl because otherwise yeah. my story breaks. So just, <laughs> it can't be done. We had a whole discussion on this 
at some point in the early days of this podcast where we were talking about owl post and like <laughs> how it works. Could you send an owl through the flu network? Could you like Oh no, no, of- no, no. <laughs> Don't put your owls <laughs> in the fires. <laughs> There are a lot of questions about owls, but I love that. This, I mean, it mirror, all of this mirrors their nature. I mean, they're they're they become laser focused on prey. They're raptors. Generally, raptors are solitary. There's some exceptions, but generally, they're solitary. Um, and then you know, you look at Harry, who you know is very isolated as as a person, um, and it just it it all kind of makes sense where they mirror each other, and then the owl mirrors what their nature actually is i mean owls can do trigonometry in their head to just you know go in for that prey and they're they're really successful predators obviously um but that you know all of this behavior it just mirrors what they they actually do so using them to deliver things um and find find specific people is um i mean they can't do that in real life because they're, they're just really instinctive and and you know, evolutionarily driven to prey, um, you know, and hunting, but, um, you know, for the sake of the narrative, it does mirror what they, what they're like in nature. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm so happy you're here. I, I know nothing. (laughs) 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 And their, but their poop smells really, really bad. So you probably don't want one as a pet. So, and I know there there was a, there was a lot of, you know, when this first came out, everybody wanted an owl as a pet. Um, and I know there was a lot of, oh, there's many reasons you don't want them. And, you know, that's one reason. I yeah. still do. I, I, I was surprised that Harry didn't comment on the smell when he visits the owlery. Mm-hmm. He's just like, he oh, talks- yeah, like the floor was covered in droppings, but like there's no mention of smell. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, got to be the worst smell. Really? Also, okay, this is kind of a side story, but uh, when I was on my study abroad in England, we went to uh, the uh, Mary Tudor farm, which is uh, Shakespeare's mother's like family farm. That's like a working kind of museum-esque kind of thing still. Mm -hmm. And they have a birds of prey show that's so flipping cool, guys. It's so cool. And they have several owls. And they let them, like, fly around by the guests. And so this massive owl, like, flew by my head. And first, it was amazing. It was so cool. But also, it was slightly scary. So, like, (laughs) I can't believe no one ever mentioned that, like, these huge, like, strong birds just, like, fly over people's heads. And no one's like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, they're big and fast and just, like, the whoosh right next to your face. And you're like, oh. And that's that's tough because they're hard to train. You know, when you look at what falconers do... Um, falconers generally aren't out there with owls helping them hunt. Um, yeah. you know, and I know there's, I can't remember if it's on one of the extras for one of, for maybe movie seven or eight, uh, where they talk about this in depth, but they're just so instinctive that they're very hard to train. And so it's hard to reinforce them, um, you know, for the behaviors that you want. Um, they're just, I don't want to say they're not that bright, but you know, they're kind of brawn. They're brawn over brains, I guess you could say, to to some extent. I think I remember that clip. And they talked about how they were like, originally we were going to have more owls, like live yes. owls. But we couldn't get them trained. So a lot of these owls yes. are CGI. <laughs> yeah. And it also reminds me of um, the very first preview of Cursed Child. They used real owls. <laughs> and 
it went so crazy that after that very first show, they were like, and no more live owls. <laughs> yeah. The owl, like, went, instead of going to its first mark, it got confused. It went to its second mark and then, like, got loose in the house, oh, basically. Oh, no. Poor like, baby. They had to, like, luckily they were able to, like, get it and take care of it. But like, Oh, Lord. Well, and even, even in the Harry Potter books, like, the owls, like, aren't trained very well, as in, like, they're not docile. Like, you know, Hedwig has a lot of attitude. Um, it's true. And, like, Pig Widgeon, like, does not listen to Ron. He's like, wee, wee, excitement. And Ron's like, you, you, down here. Now he's like, wee. I know. They, this is the thing. Like, I know that they're magical owls, but I feel like these are particularly difficult pets to have. And you never, like, I, I'm happy about this because this would be a real, real boring part of the books if this was included. But you never see, like, the fact that they gotta have mice for these poor guys, or, like, they have to have huge enclosures, or make sure that they have places to hunt and poop and just sleep, or, like... Well... It's very difficult to keep an owl, from what I understand yeah, wait, from my wait, 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 wait. singular online search, so I'm so blessed to be an expert now, right? Rats, if owls eat rats, and Ron brought his pet rat to a school with a thousand owls... Oh, do, boy's not very bright, is he? <laughs> he well, is but not. That's, but that's not a rat. So, I mean... It's uh, not. True, true. Rats, rats would not probably be watching for predators as closely as... Um, Scabbers. Yeah. I was going okay. yeah. to say Peter, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Either way. And I, I, like I said, I think there's something about magical owls too, you know, like they're, they've got, they've got a leg up on things. <laughs> yeah. I would hope so. Because if, if that's the case and they don't, that's a very, like Harry's probably the worst owner of an owl in the world. He, there's, there's no yeah. way that this small, small child <laughs> is going to carry around enough food for this snowy owl, this fully grown snowy owl. All the time and be able well, to give it enough space to fly around. And, and we know that when they're at Hogwarts, all of the owls kind of like live in the owlery, you know, yeah. like they, they all kind of live up there and they, so they're, they're free flowing, you know, they come see their owners when they've got a letter. No, I'm talking about when he's, while, when he's trapped know? at the Dursleys though. That's like, oh yeah, that's different. Yeah. No, he's done. He's done ski. Like there's no way he can yeah. take care of this poor owl. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you guys seen that video though, where someone like, pushes up the owl's feathers mm -hmm. so you can see its legs. <laughs> oh! oh, I did see that. <laughs> those are those are their killers. <laughs> They're grabbers. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> the owl is just like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway. Um, should we continue with the other owls? Yes. Oh, my only my only notes for Errol, poor Errol, is just literally like, let this boy sleep. Like, could you please stop <laughs> sending him out? Leave him alone. <laughs> well, but Lord, like, Lord they're Taylor. trying to, because like Ron says he's not supposed to be using Errol, because Errol's like a flight away from like exploding in a puff of dust. Um, I I just love, I love in the film when he comes to the window. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that too. I, I feel, oh, I feel boy. like he was purposefully... He he, like his personality is is this way, or his condition, I guess we could call it, um, because he's he's really kind of symbolizing the Weasley household, you know, second yeah. secondhand everything, and and kind of you know worn, worn out. out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, been in the family forever. I also think it's like one of those things where like 
the Weasleys really want a new owl, but, like, it makes no sense financially while they still have one. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they're like, you know, Errol, like, I mean, when Errol finally passes, we'll get a new owl, and Errol's yeah. gonna outlive them all. <laughs> 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 like, in, like, 40 years, Errol will still be slamming into windows, but he'll still be there. I'm sure Errol is also partially tired because he lives in a house. He's been living in a house with like seven small children at various stages his entire life. And like, I'm sure there have been times where small boys have not treated him very kindly. Yeah, the Weasley twins definitely experimented <laughs> on him at some point. Oh my God. Charlie, like, was examining him all the time. Like This poor friend. If anything, this conversation has made me feel worse for him. I feel bad for him. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to picture Errol and, like, Arthur in some quiet corner of the garden shed. And Arthur's just like, shit's okay, Errol. We'll just sit here for a while away from everyone. <laughs> I would certainly hope so. Also, the, the idea of Percy getting Hermes... And uh, I love, th I know that you wrote this down, Allie, but I love the fact that he chose that name, too, because that is it's absolutely great. one billion percent Percy. It's so great. Right. Um, God, I wish he would have gone evil. That would have gone, that would have so great. <laughs> it sounds, Hermes sounds so pretentious, but also it's such, it's the most obvious name to name an owl, because obviously... Hermes is the Greek uh, god of messengers, right? Yeah. And so it's like the most obvious name, but also it sounds so pretentious. So Which like, like, of course that's what yeah, Percy like, calls his owl. Like. Lack of creativity and pretension. <laughs> that is Percy. Like, uh, totally. I love it. I wish we got more of Hermes. I want to see his personality. I want to see if he's yeah, like... There's almost nothing to read about him, which okay. is a little sad. All right. But I do have a question about Hermes. How much of Percy's decision to get an owl was based on his fling with Penelope Clearwater? Oh, it must have been so much. Because he didn't want his... <laughs> yeah? Like, his brother's okay. already made fun of him so much. He's going to have to hide this as much as possible. I I feel like it's also a social status kind of thing. I mean, Hagrid says everyone wants an owl, right? All the kids want owls. And I feel like that would make Percy feel important, you know? Like, I have yeah. my own owl, and it's this beautiful owl, and his name is Hermes, and, like, look at me all official with my own owl. I can send my own mail. Oh, that like, tracks. Yeah, makes sense. That feels very Percy to me. <laughs> my notable uh, correspondence. But I, I think there's definitely <laughs> something to be said for the fact that he wouldn't want his brothers to know. Like, that this is... It, he would, oh, he would die. Like, they already 100%. make fun of him so much. Yeah. Well, I just, like... <laughs> I love the visual of, like, when Ginny finally tells the twins, and, like, one of them looks like Christmas had come early. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That poor boy. <laughs> um, and also, the fact that he, like, has a portrait of Penelope, and he, like, writes correspondence to her while he has a portrait, it's all, like, so very Listen, Victorian. I was gonna say, Percy thinks he's some, like... <laughs> romantic-esque like because yeah. like i've just been watching downton abbey um oh, and like man. poor william's about so to go to war and like he like wants a portrait of daisy and i'm like oh my god that's exactly percy <laughs> that's very percy except for percy's not as like humble as as he is but anyway that's a different story we're gonna talk about downtown abbey, abbey later whatever yes um, and then we have the third Weasley owl, which is Muffet. It's just a little <laughs> bundle of energy. I, I love Pigwidgeon. 
Uh, I, I actually I just him. put my notes on here. I just more so went into the fact that I don't exactly know how the Weasley family ke- takes care of all of their owls, but being that they're like all magical, I guess that question is redundant. Yeah. Yeah, I think most owls are pretty, like for the most part. Self-sufficient, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I think, like they cut, like who their owner is, they like come home to roost, you know, like that's like their, let's, let's hope that their magic makes se. up for the fact that their owners seem to neglect a lot of their necessities. <laughs> well, but I think that's, that's part of just what they do. You know, like they're like, that's how you take care of your owl. You let it go roam free and be itself, you know, like it's not like, you let it roam free and then forget about it forever. <laughs> well, it will return to you eventually. Don't worry. I mean, owls have, Typically, most owls have territories, um, and it's based on establishing a territory to basically lay claim to the prey within that territory. So if they're feeding them, um, there's a reason to come back and, you know, continually come back, just aside from the magical part of this. Um, They do get treats. Yes. I want to know what those treats are made of, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bizarre. Yeah, what are they? They're called owl nuts, yeah, I think. Yeah, something like so that. So maybe they're like, maybe they're like fancy bird seed kind of things. <laughs> I don't know. Owls <laughs> are carnivores. Like, I don't understand what they could uh, be that's putting true. in them. <laughs> I, I don't know. Bits of ground mouse. I don't know. <laughs> let's, hope it, let's hope it's a lot more carnivorous than seed. <laughs> let's hope yeah. that they're giving them well, something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I couldn't think of anything off the top no, of my head. No, no, no. I think that, I think that that's funny. I, they probably have something that they do. Maybe they're feeding them pygmy Jason, pups. Jason. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, that's terrible. No. I like, yes. I like no. Jason's idea. No. 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 Jason, uh, your idea that they might eat no. Well, yeah, I mean, that is also terrible. I, well, I mean, nature is not pretty, and, um, the gnomes are obviously a problem, uh, according to Mrs. I just Weasley, so. Pig. <laughs> Little pig going after the gnomes and, like, not being able to hold <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd ride or die for pig too. I love him. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm looking up gnomes and fantastic beasts, um, and apparently the only thing that like actively eats them, like as preferred prey, Jar- is a jarvis. Yeah, jarvis. Uh, yeah, I think mm. the literature says. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, a jarvi may be used for getting rid of a no uh, a gnome infestation, but quote, many wizards nowadays find this method of gnome control too brutal. So, hopefully... Yeah, those things, like, tear them apart. Oh, the poor gnomes. I really like them. I know I yeah, should... I, I should totally know this, but are owls listed in Fantastic Beasts? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, no, because they're not like 
They're not a fantastic beast. So, they're just like so. I mean, regular beast. It could be that they consume gnomes. Yeah, I mean, there's de- that's definitely a, a possibility. I mean, they like small prey. They'll go for small prey. So yeah, yeah. Well, the gnomes are like a foot high, so like that seem about right. Yeah. Oh, it could. Owl, yeah. Right? So, I mean, some owls are pretty big. Yeah. Owls will pick up rabbits and stuff sometimes, won't they? So. Yeah. Or am I thinking of something else? Um, owls like to swallow yeah. things whole, and they, have you? Did, oh, have you? Yeah. Have you guys ever dissected owl pellets? Yes, so, and it's disgusting. Yes, it was See, I think I think Ugh. it's I think it's amazing. I mean, it's just such a unbelievable evolutionary trait. Like, wh- how did Ugh. that come to be? You know, you gotta wonder. But it really that is, so is crazy. Um, it really is efficient. You know, there it's it's very efficient on the owl's part. So. Um, I find that fascinating. I like threw up in the middle of seventh grade <laughs> biology doing that. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. No, like, the one I really almost did that was when we dissected a cow eye. Then I like actually yeah. had to go outside. Yeah. I was about to throw up. I don't think I ever um, had to dissect anything. We had to dissect, I think, like a toad, and so like I was the one like sitting in the yeah, corner, like thinking happy thoughts and like rocking back and forth while my partner did it. Like, sorry, Jason, but I am not a biology guy. Like. <laughs> I, I like things to remain whole. I like the, you know your innards to remain in. Like yeah, no. Yeah, I've dissected yeah. cadavers, did, so like yeah. n- nothing really phases me at this oh. point. But uh, uh, <laughs> Jason, you're nope. a stronger man than I. Uh, years <laughs> so of squeamish. practice. Years of practice. I'm so squeamish. Same. Um, yeah. Anyway, speaking of pig, I love that Ginny named him. Yes. And also, I want to know where she got this from, and like how that all played out because. <laughs> Ron says that he won't respond to anything else. Oh, that is because owls sweet. are sassy. They don't listen. <laughs> but I want to know, like, how Ginny came up with that name yeah. and, like, how that all played out. I also do love that the first thing Ron does is check with Crookshanks and say, is this a real owl? And Crookshanks gives approval. Yeah. He's like, he's right, been I'll burned play. before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, and it's also, like, the first time that we, like, really see Ginny being sassy, um, at, cause, like, Rod is, like, um, Pig, and he's, and Harry's, like, why is he calling him Pig? And Ginny's, like, because he's being stupid, his name is Pig Widgeon. <laughs> and it's cute. <laughs> and I'm, like, yeah, you go, Ginny. I know, it's the first time that she, well, not the first time, but it's, like, the start of her developing a personality, which is great. Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah. and in the, in the words of Michael, I want more right. of it. <laughs> Smash another! Uh, so talk of Crookshanks. Shall we segue to our favorite cat? Uh, yes. What? Oh. I am not a cat person, but like, I also ride and die for Crookshanks. I like, thought you were talking about Mrs. Norris, cause she's my favorite cat. Oh, no. We're talking about Crookshanks. I do like Crookshanks. Fluffy though. orange ball of delight. Yeah. <laughs> Crookshanks is the best. Um, so, we, I think this has been confirmed that Crookshanks is part yeah. Neasel. Yep. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, for sure. Um, who, Neasels are magical kind of semi-cat-like creatures. Yeah, from what I read, it, they um, look like they're, uh, they're kind of, like, super cats, that they can be quite dangerous if they don't trust who they're around. Yeah. So, um, but being part cat, part Neasel, I'm sure that Crookshanks isn't super dangerous. Yeah. But they're very loyal. Mm-hmm. And they're very intelligent. Um, and which of course we know comes in handy because Crookshanks is like the first one to understand who Wormtail is, you know, and, uh, who Scabbers is. No, I love Crookshanks so much. 
I don't know how anyone could think that Crookshanks is ugly. I think he's so cute. He's just a fluffer. See, here's the problem, though. If I actually met Crookshanks, I'd be sneezing and have hives, and it would be too oh, Yeah, no. I'm, like, deathly allergic to cats, so, like, I like theoretical cats in books, uh, just not real-life yes. ones. Same here. <laughs> However, I do need to get the stuffed Crookshanks to complete my Hermione cosplay outfit, because I have, like, everything else, except for Crookshanks. Gotta get that Crookshanks! Gotta get that little fluffer. Hell yeah, then we'll have fluffer our cosplay nutter. group. I'll just be Tom Riddle again. Um, actually, I've got so many cosplays at this point from Harry Potter. I'll be Bellatrix. I look the best in Bellatrix. Yeah. I mean, I have something like 50 Harry Potter cosplays, so I like billion, cosplay upon request. Yeah, I just have Hermione that I've been building since I was a freshman in high school, so like that's where I'm at. Yeah. Slowly you know what? I'll be Creature. I'll just walk around in a loincloth again. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway! Okay, back to Crookshanks. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who is the bestest? <laughs> um, um, I... Wait, what else do I have written here? Let's see. This is a peek behind the curtains, guys. It's my first episode. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, oh, they're known to be very good wizarding pets, but you do need a license to have one. It's very interesting that yeah. licensing yeah. is necessary to have a, a part nasal cat. Uh, well, no, the license is only for full nasals because Hermione oh, doesn't yes. need a license for Crookshanks. That we know well, of. I thought that they didn't um, even know. I mean, that. she like gets him in like. 30 seconds, like, That's true. Harry and Ron are, like, well, down the block, and she, like, runs over with Crookshanks. No, it takes them a while, because they have to look for scabbers, and it's a rat in the middle of the street. It takes a little while. He's hiding behind a dustbin, you know. I mean, Jason, you can speak to this, but I feel like licensing for animals takes more than, like, two minutes. Yes. I mean, licensing in the muggle world um, is mostly for if you're... Uh, housing life-threatening animals or endangered species, things like that. Um, so there's got to be something about measles where the wizarding world feels the necessity to control who has them and who doesn't. But if it's a hybrid, um, those are often ignored. Um, you know, so it, it depends. Oh. You know, a hybrid is one of those things where if it's a mix of two different species, you don't really know if they fall under um the law or not when it comes to licensing so that's that could be why that's so cool wait so uh, give me give me an example of a hybrid animal that like one of the animals i would have to have a license for but if it's a hybrid I um wouldn't. there's so um i i have a lot of birds that we use for education programs and parrots are there's okay. certain parrots that are on the endangered species list um, I own one that it needs requires a permit. It requires a license. Um, oh, you know, okay. Not because, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the United States because it's not even native to the United States. You know, we should be we should <laughs> want people to be breeding these, but that that's just my two cents. Um, but as far as like if it was a hybrid with another parrot species, um, it wouldn't fall under that same licensing. Okay, interesting. Uh, well, and I I looked I up um, the entry in Fantastic Beasts. Uh, licenses are required for ownership of needle of measles because they are sufficiently unusual in appearance to attract muggle interest. So I feel like you need in the wizarding world you need licenses for animals that are close enough to muggle yeah. animals, but weird enough that like muggles will come asking questions. So it's also required for crups, uh, which are like dogs. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah. ask about that because they have all, the only difference is they have like a forked tail, isn't that isn't that what it is? That you, yeah, and that you that you clip yeah, the tail right. too, like that's that's part of the licensing Got for it. crups. Um, Interesting. I I feel like wizarding licensing too is showing also for the animals that it's like you can actually take care of this, so it doesn't get out mm -hmm. into the Muggle world. <laughs> uh, kind of making sure they're you know you don't get things like 
the iguana infestations in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen that? No, but that sounds like crazy. Iguanas literally, like, like iguanas literally like have become such a like invasive species that they like have people that go hunt these iguanas because they're such a problem oh my god it's really weird and they like drop down on people and like attack people it's that's wild look that up iguanas that attack people i was reading an article about it once and i was like what is happening iguanas are invasive (laughs) so they they cause a lot of problems um down there so, yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you you think chickens are a problem? Iguanas are are iguanas yeah. are, are a real problem. Yeah, people in Florida stop letting animals loose that are invasive. There's so many people from out of state in Florida. I'm sure it could just be anybody now just letting their letting their I animals guess. go. Anyway, <laughs> Florida. Um, we do know Mrs. Fig breeds measles, right? We're going to talk about that mm-hmm. in a little bit. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of fun that they're like, yeah, squibs can breed measles, whatever. <laughs> uh, but there's also um, a couple cool theories about Crookshanks. In ye olden days of the fandom, like <laughs> well before Deathly Alice came out, there was a rumor that Crookshanks was Lily Potter as an animagus, just because like... We kind of picked up on the whole hidden Animagus thing being a thing in the Wizarding World. Oh my god. So we're like, you know what, while we're at it, um, and, like, it became a big enough thing that Joe Rowling actually had to debunk the rumor. I Like, I think she debunked it on her website, where she's like, yeah. nope, sorry guys, not that one. I love this crazy community so much. We're, why, we're we just, yeah. we find something and we latch onto it and I respect the hell out of that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there also a rumor that Crookshanks was the Potter's cat that like ran away yeah, after I heard that, that night? One. Yeah, um, that was a rumor I definitely so, heard. That was um, another one. I hadn't because we didn't know about that cat before Deathly Hallows. Like we didn't okay, know. Okay, I think Potter's it came out after Death. I think it came out mm-hmm. after Deathly Hallows, where everyone was like, Crookshanks was the cat, and oh. everyone was like, "Woo!" Yeah, we're like, "Okay, we'll take that one." That's how Crookshanks knew Wormtail. Like, woo. <laughs> you know, I haven't serious, heard that one, you know? but I kind of love it. Yeah, I also love the theory that one of the reasons why Hermione loves Crookshanks so much is Crookshanks reminds her of Ron with his ginger hair and his somewhat grumpy attitude and like... <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. yeah. That that's part of the reason why Hermione loves Crookshanks is because Crookshanks reminds That's, that's a very romantic notion. I want to see them when they're married. And like I bet I Hermione know. is like, oh, Ron and Crookshanks don't like each other because they're so much alike. I mean yeah. Crookshanks is like so much like Hermione, it's ridiculous though. I feel like that's it, true. It's it's yeah. It's almost like a uh there's they're meant for each other. I also want the fanfic hello this is today's episode of the fanfic allison wants um <laughs> the fanfic of when ron and hermione first like get married or move in together whatever and like ron learning to live with crookshanks more closely <laughs> Aww. and like the adventures of like crookshanks and pig like i'm picturing like entangled like how pascal always is like sitting on max's head yes. oh, oh just like pig. just like just entangled like, ever after the short film yeah yeah, where where it's just like Pink just like rides around on Crookshanks. <laughs> I mean, technically, Ron like has lived with Crookshanks because Crookshanks lives at the burrow. Um, and that's I, true. During like I yeah, during love, holidays, yeah. I love, love, love. This is my favorite thing about Crookshanks is how he chases the gnomes. 
And how, like, the gnomes are, quote, giggling madly while they run away from Crookshanks, and she's, like, batting at the boot, and I'm like, this is the cutest thing. That is adorable! Oh my god! I also love that Crookshanks has, like, a reputation for that, because Ginny talks, like, Ginny blames the dung bombs that she's thrown at the door to make sure there's, like, a, uh, the charm that's on the door of Grimald. Oh, the imperturbable charm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That she just, like, automatically is like, oh, it's Crookshanks. He loves playing with him. <laughs> and everyone just buys it. Like, <laughs> I mean, not everyone. Only Molly Weasley. Well, okay. Yeah, because yeah. Ginny's the golden child. Can do no wrong. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Oh, no, I and love I appreciate Ginny. That I her, wish we got more of her. I appreciate that Hermione is, like, um, it concerns enough to eavesdrop on the order meeting that she doesn't, like, jump to defend her cat's honor. I know. She's just like, yeah, he does that. Yeah, Hermione's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's my cat. <laughs> oh, I love it. Speaking of pets, though, that are not quite as beloved. <laughs> Trevor. Oh, oh Trevor. Trevor. I feel like there's more, there's more, like, theory behind Trevor than there's actual content of Trevor in the that book. That is yes. probably true. I I just kind of have a soft spot for Trevor. I think it's because Snape legitimately tried to poison him once. <laughs> <laughs> that I just like and like poor Neville. Like I think I have a Neville soft spot for Neville that extends to Trevor. Yes. I think that's where I land on this. At yesterday's Wizard Rock online festival, Flitwick and the Charmers sang a song from Trevor's point of view about the uh, greasy dark-haired man he's afraid of, and I had so many oh, feelings. Oh no. <laughs> Poor baby! <laughs> that makes me hurt. <laughs> anyway, didn't... And I think Rowling said once, she was like, we don't see Trevor in the later books because, you know, eventually he and Neville just kind of parted ways. Oh. <laughs> They're happier on their own. Oh. Like, oh, oh, big yikes on that. I do not agree. Trevor's, Trevor stays forever, guys. <laughs> um, But speaking of toads, other things J.K. Rowling has said about toads... She wrote a whole post on toads, guys. That is so random. It's great. So she said, the toad has a long association with witchcraft and was often believed to be a familiar. It occupies a special place in old folk cures, particularly perhaps on the homeopathic principle of curing like with like in the curing of warts. In the Dark Ages, a British toad could think itself lucky if it died of natural causes because it was in constant <laughs> danger of being boiled, powdered, skinned, or tied around a sick human's neck in a bag. <laughs> Centuries ago, in bloodthirstier times, when young witches and wizards were expected to personally pop out the newt eyes they were using in potions, they routinely brought boxes of toads to school for use in potions and in other charms, which, like... That got dark. Nah. That got real dark. That's interesting as hell, though. That is really cool. I mean, I maybe that's just the weird thing, because I've actually given some thought to the fact that, like... What if there are witches and wizards out there that, like, only do vegan magic, technically, so they don't use, like, any sort of animal byproducts? Because technically that's a sacrifice of an animal that's, like, that's kind of at least somewhat against its will. I wonder if there's, like, synthetic nude eyes. Maybe? I mean... But I, I don't I, know. I like to think that all, the newts all die of natural causes and then we take their eyes. Yeah. See, man, you did not want to go to Hogwarts in the early days, I guess. There was no plumbing. You had to pop out your own newt eyes. Like, mm, uh-uh, I mean, I would not make it. You you just didn't want to be around in the early days. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, like, there's um, no way. In the bonus Patreon thing, uh, Patrick Katie and I recorded, um, they were like, what time period would you want to time travel to? And I'm like, 
like, no time period, like, before, like, modern times. Because, like, I like indoor plumbing, and I like having enough food. Yeah, literally none of them. I I feel like all of them have their very bad sides. True. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I feel like the symbolism of having a, a toad around or having a toad as a pet is interesting because I, a lot in the way of like snakes are perceived, uh, they can either be very good or very bad depending on the culture that you're going with. So um, they're more positive in like Chinese culture from what I read. Uh, they're symbols of, symbols of uh, regeneration and uh, reinvention. But I think for a lot of different like tales, they're mo- they're like mainly seen as like negative symbols. So it it really does depend on who you're looking at. Well, and they're they're amphibians, which literally translates to both lives because they start you know as tadpoles in the water and then they emerge into a toad or frog. Um, I I kind of foresee I, like I see this as a forecast on what. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Neville is capable of, or what he will become, because obviously he oh. he flourished into something that was amazing, um, and so that metamorphosis that he went through is similar to what you know Trevor went through. What and and I, I guess kind of like Trevor isn't what he seems. Like when you first get it, you know, it's just a dumpy toad, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you know how they start their lives and then how they how they transform. Um, is is pretty amazing. Wildly different. Yeah, That's Jason, so cool. I've never heard that parallel to Neville being a tadpole, and how have I never heard oh. that before? And that's brilliant, that's so and good. I love this so much. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh my also, God. you have a note here that there is symbol for fertility, and my first thought was, yeah, I can see Neville and <laughs> Hannah having a really big family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be like, yeah, Neville is also a symbol for fertility once he long bottoms. Yeah, they lay a lot of eggs. They hey. have a lot of babies. <laughs> I, I see them having a real big family. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like Neville could be a very good father. All their little kids running around the Hogwarts grounds because Hannah's He's been through the, so much shit at I this know. point. He can give any any I advice. I know. Lots of garden space. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Oh. Hannah and Neville, I just see having the most beautiful family. Anyway. Yeah, you bring up all of these, like, super wholesome ideas for, like, other other stories that we could hear. The, the, I feel like the ideas that I always bring up are just so weird and crazy. This is why we need you, though, because I always want the happy ending. I, uh... Yeah. Um, and Grace, I'm also with you on the weird, because in ye olden days of theories and shipping... Um, I wouldn't say a popular ship, but a niche ship that did come up a lot of times is Trevor Umbridge on account of the toad thing. Oh my Wait, god, no, are you kidding me? No, nope, no, that was a thing in wild. some niche quarters of the internet. Why? No, I, I can't redact like this successful. from my memory, and half of me is just so horrified, and half of me is so intrigued. <laughs> some something, some something should just stay in the dark corners of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. I'm terrified, no. But, but also I, I need to know. 
No, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. So the fact that he's the only toad um, we see, do we think wizards are, like, really, really concerned with what pets are fashionable? Because, like, when, ha- when Hagrid says that, like, toads went out of fashion years ago, I thought that meant that, like, plenty of people would have them and they wouldn't be seen as cool, but Trevor is the only toad we meet, other than Well, Umbridge. I think it could be because... Trevor escapes a lot, so he's more noticeable. Whereas, I guess if other kids have toads, they probably, like, keep them hidden or, like, keep them at home. You know, they like, they're not... It's their toad so on the down get... low, if you will. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it probably... They probably only trusted him with a toad because it's low maintenance. I mean, they're they're cold-blooded. Oh. They have a low metabolism. They aren't going to be, you know, running around the castle like some of these other things are, so... You know, they probably only oh, trusted Neville. him with that up front, yeah. God, that's sad. Why didn't Neville's family trust him? <laughs> well, they but were that, just trying but to that symboli- I don't know. that symbolism of metamorphosis is beautiful, so just latch onto that. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're that's what stick I'm holding on to. Alright. I'm holding on to holding on to that and Hannah and Neville's beautiful family. Okay. Alright, we're good. Okay, good. Okay. Now yeah. we can move on to Fox. Because yes, another beautiful It is time for Phoenixes and beautiful, magnificent pets. Yay. Can I just say I'm laughing at the fact that you said Grimes of Crinkle? <laughs> <laughs> I okay. I I I'm very bad at thinking up names myself, but I will make fun of names at any chance I get. I think Voldemort's a stupid name. <laughs> so Tom, the, I'm sticking it to you right now. <laughs> but yes, like you could go ahead and make fun of all of my favorite characters and their names because most likely their names are very dumb. <laughs> And I feel like Crimes of Grindelwald, I, I've got nothing but respect for for everyone who th- put their heads together and came up with this name. But also, I will take every opportunity to make fun of this name. This will happen. Yes. It'll be because it'll be Grimes of Grindelwald and, and Crimes of Crundle Cross. <laughs> and like there's it's just also, too easy. He don't commit any crimes. He commits like a singular crime, which is breaking out of <laughs> he prison. He's a baby killed! <laughs> Yeah, what but he doesn't you? do that. He has people for that. He, he also, like, murders all of his so guards. Like, Let's not it's forget. Crimes of Grindelwald and his underlings. Um, anyway. 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 <laughs> anyway. We, we're not getting into that. Yeah, um, I, I wrote it down wrong on the sheets, though. guys. That, that's, what, that's the joke that I'm making. I, I was basically just saying the last scene in, uh, the spoiler alert, <laughs> last scene in uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. And I wrote down as Grimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Fox and the Phoenix and what's happening there. It's just very confusing. Here's my question, though. Is that Phoenix actually Fox? I, I do no. not know. I don't, I don't know anything anymore about this series. Why yeah. am I here? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no because Fox deserves better. I have an inclination that it's not Fox either, that it's a different Phoenix, and that Fox is going to show up later. I am... Um, that, that it's a different phoenix that's somehow there because of whatever the heck is going on with Credence and... Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what game they're playing here. I, th- I feel like it's interesting and I'm in for the ride, but, like, it, it doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's why I'm, I'm withholding final judgment of that movie until I have the whole series so that I can be like... Oh, yeah, I can understand that. I could definitely jive with that. Yeah. Whereas I have issued final judgment and it is what the fuck. There's just... (laughs) Title. Um. Yeah, actually, I think that is our title. 
Okay, I'm putting it in the thing now. <laughs> what the fox? <laughs> um, well, well, because like I thought it it um was such an effective uh, way of building up Dumbledore's character to have him have a pet phoenix because like phoenixes are so like majestic and cool and otherworldly, and yet Dumbledore is majestic and cool and otherworldly enough to have a pet phoenix and to have a phoenix patronus, and I was like. Yo. Yeah. And also, <laughs> like, that shows just how lonely Dumbledore is because his spiritual guardian is his pet. Aww. Yeah. L- like, Joe jo Rowling really builds up, um, sort of like just on the page and mostly off it, how lonely Dumbledore is, um, like, with the fact that he doesn't really have equals, um, among him. Like, I think Joe Rowling said McGonagall was a very worthy second, but like, Dumbledore doesn't really have any peers. Um, yeah. And so that's why, like, you know, it's just him and Fox. Well, I mean, the the point, I feel like the, the tragedy of his character is that, like, it's not necessarily that he even needed equals. He just needed to be willing to open up to people who he trusted around him. And because that never happens, he essentially ends up dying with all of his secrets and never able to really explain himself mm. to the people that he, I I assume, cared about most. Uh, and I feel like I, as in Fox, as an extension of him, I, I, I love the idea that they're both sort of magical, but I love the idea that they're both a mystery. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought it was so cool, um, that Fox left when Dumbledore did. Yeah. Uh, because it's very like, artful. I will give it that. Yeah. Well, so it's one of those things where I feel like Joe Rowling isn't, um, quite as good at the, like, big, majestic, unexplainable magic as she is about, like, the mundane stuff. Um, Because, like, I mean, my thing is always, like, the sword in the lake, uh, where she's like, it has to be taken under, like, circumstance of bravery. I'm just like, no, no. Like, melt the ice, heat up the water, yank the sword, and (laughs) screw the bravery. Like, it's... You are such a raven. I am such a raven. I mean, that makes much more sense. Let's be pragmatic about it. But also, it's because this this series is less high fantasy and more magical realism, which means there's less of the like Lord of the Rings esque. Right. Exactly. But high I stuff. Yeah, but I feel like Fox leaving with Dumbledore is one of the ones where she did it really, really well because like. It, it doesn't make, like, a logistical, like, A, B, and C sense, but just, like, it feels so right. It's such beautiful writing to yeah. me, because in that whole chapter, we keep getting hints of, like, they could hear Fox singing on the grounds, and then, like, at the end of that chapter, it's just, like, Fox yeah. is gone. And just, like, the the writing with yeah. that is just, like, and oh. And the chapter title, it's, A Phoenix Lament, mm-hmm. I mean. I know. But, but, Jason, is there, like, a, is there a Phoenix equivalent that we can kind of look at uh, for Fox, like within the actual world. Oh gosh, um, I mean, there's 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 beautiful birds. Clearly, birds. I mean, <laughs> it, it, when you think about when you think about <laughs> beauty and things that really have captured, um, you know, visual appeal, so that they can attract mates and stuff like that. I mean, you think of peacocks and and you know things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But the whole um, regeneration and burning and things like that it's that's a stretch i don't know yeah is there any animal that does anything like that i feel like there's some animal that does something there there was there was a weird jellyfish i read an article about years ago where like it like regenerates and lives forever Mm -hmm. yes 
Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So yeah, the closest analog we have to fox is a jellyfish. And, and things like amphibians, <laughs> like they don't, things like amphibians don't um, completely regenerate, but they do, they do regenerate. Like if, you know, if they lose a, a foot, they'll, they, they're, they can regenerate that foot, you know, salamanders and things like that, which is, I think, why, why yeah. you know, in, in witchcraft, they always tended to go with newts and salamanders and, um, toads and things like that because they have that regenerative ability. That's amazing. That is so cool. Right? That is so cool. <laughs> it's amazing. Nature, guys. Nature. Oh, animals are awesome. Uh, talk of um, the regenerating ability. Do you think there's like any limit on it? Um, because like we've seen Fox like, you know, swallow a killing curse and then come back as like a baby chick. So like, do you think he can like swallow another killing curse um while he's a chick or there's, do you think there's like a cooling off period i feel like they talk about that in fantastic beasts like how a phoenix actually finally dies i don't i don't think they well lucky do for that? you i have Did the I book it? in front of me um I, I it might be in the new edition um let's see uh no 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 it doesn't mention anything let me go grab my new edition okay i I trust you on this because i did not listen to the new edition or read it so i only did the old one and i don't remember it like i i know the new edition had a new intro um so i went to a bookstore and took a photo of those two pages and then i'm like good don't need to buy it Oh man! After I my actually kind of like this the the edition that came out after the film. I think it it's got some interesting additions to it. Um, Phoenix starts with P, not F. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, yeah, Phoenix. The Phoenix is a magnificent swan-sized scarlet bird with a long golden tail, beak, and talons. It nests on mountain peaks and is found in Egypt, India, and China. Phoenix lives to an immense age as it can regenerate, bursting into flames when its body begins to fail, rising. Blah blah. A gentle creature. Never known to kill and eats only herbs. Uh, Phoenix, sorry. Oh, that's cute. So it's like the, uh, the hipster song's magical. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. say when so, they like, finally die. I have the same passage in the 2001 edition. Yeah. And I also love that the Phoenix Games a four-star rating, not because it is aggressive, yeah. but because very few wizards have ever succeeded in domesticating it. Domesticating so, it. snaps for Dumbledore. Yeah, good on you, Dumbles. Like, that. that's hella yeah. cool. Yeah. I... I love the idea of uh, having Fox as a pet. I also, like, there's so many unexplained connections, like the twin wand core and why that's important from it being from Fox. Can we talk about, like, how that happened? Like, was Ollivander just like, hey, Dumbledore, you've got a phoenix. You got any loose feathers? And Dumbledore's like, yeah, sure, here's my collection. I mean, (laughs) I think so, because phoenixes are so rare, um, and they make very good wand cores. So I think Ollivander would totally be like, hey, Dumbledore, if your phoenix ever sheds, can you, like, you know... Toss them my way? I got the... Like, this is this is the story that I want. Grace was to start choosing, and I've got a billion ideas. But, like, <laughs> I want one, at least, like, a, a story of the... Like, how, how that panned out, because I feel like it has something to do with uh, whatever's going on with uh, Grimes of Crundlewald and... <laughs> And everything that that was happening in the past. I mean, there might be a connection. I feel like there's something weird going on, guys. I feel like something might have happened that, like, either inspired Dumbledore to donate two feathers, like, particularly two feathers, or Ollivander to go looking for them. You think there's a prophecy or anything? um, Timeline-wise, right, um, Voldemort would be getting his wand in the late 30s, like, 1930. 
uh, seven ish. He was born nineteen. When he goes to Hogwarts, so nineteen. Nineteen thirty-seven. He'd be eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um. So, like, that is well before the Dumbledore Grindelwald duel and all that. Yeah, the duel um, happens when so, he's, I, mean, I believe, like sixteen or seventeen. Uh, the the year Tom Riddle graduates Hogwarts is the year the duel happens. Ooh, I'm so um, excited! <laughs> oh, dang! Yeah. Now Sorry. that said, uh, Fantastic Beasts has no regard for the canon timeline or anything. No, so, it really doesn't. <laughs> like, not so much grains of salt as just like the whole salt shaker sprinkled. A <laughs> whole the chunk film. of salt, if you will, just the the entire yeah. thing. <laughs> it's a salt lake. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've, I've spent too much time on this. I'm sorry. The, I mean, I I feel like the the artful singing of Fox going away after Dumbledore's uh, burial is like it really fits thematically with what's happening. But from like the yeah. uh, from the standpoint of the books, it doesn't explain anything. <laughs> why did this happen? I Those are like all my question marks on the notes. Why? Like yeah. I, I don't understand why this. I had feel to like though. Fox is kind of established as, like, a stand-in for Dumbledore at a lot of different points. Um, Like, he can be places when Dumbledore cannot. And he is inspiring when Dumbledore cannot, you know, in a different way. And so I feel like it's it's that final thematic goodbye, you know, that, like, Harry doesn't have Dumbledore, and he doesn't have Dumbledore stand-in either. Well, also, Fox is very deeply connected with Dumbledore, um, but hasn't developed a connection to other people. So I think, from a, you know, not, like, thematic, but from a logical standpoint, it makes sense for him to fly off because he doesn't feel a connection to anyone else there. Um, Because the only time we see Fox responding to other people is when they express loyalty to Dumbledore. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that Fox literally just... When like, Harry tells Dumbledore, I w- I'm Dumbledore's man through and through, I, that's what I told the minister, Fox lets out a cry um, because he recognizes and appreciates loyalty to Dumbledore. And in the chamber. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely buy that, but it also means that like Fox really does not care for anyone else. Yeah, which I believe. Which, you know, attracts... Like, it, Fox is allowed to have his own... Op- or, yeah, his own opinions. Yeah. <laughs> forgot whether or not Fox was a girl or a boy. Also, just, like, I feel like part of, like, if Fox didn't have a connection to anyone else, like, going off to live the remainder of his life alone, like, he's lost his person, and now he's just gonna go live on a mountain Or he alone, just goes so to party, like, we don't know, we never see him again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he goes to hang out with Sparky, like, the Phoenix mascot of one of those Quidditch teams. In Quidditch through the ages. That's great. He's like, hey, Sparky, I'll take your place. You can have a vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Sparky, we'll do you need an understudy? <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm good. I got a lot of time on my hands. My human my just claws, died. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, so... That actually that actually feels like a very Dumbledore thing, that, like, Dumbledore would be like, yeah, do that, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, so yeah, Fox. I love Fox. I love Fox. I'm angry that someone brought up this next Oh, Binky? Um, I will not talk about this. Binky, rip, guys. Frickin' rip. Yeah, Uh, I think... If anyone... Guys, I think we need to talk about the fact that in the Harry Potter universe, rabbits exist only to die. And I'm very upset that you brought that fact up. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I am offended. The only personally. two rabbits we know of is Billy Stubbs's rabbit, which quote hanged itself. The work of Tom Riddle in the orphanage. Yeah, def- definitely. You know, it hanged itself. Nothing to do with Tom. It's fine. It's fine. Don't think about it. It's fine. It's fine. Right? Yeah, a rabbit okay. hanging from the rafters. Definitely not Tom definitely Riddle's not work. Any sort of yeah. magical intent there. It's okay. Yeah. So that's one of the rabbits we meet in the series, and the other one is Binky the rabbit, uh, Lavender's beloved pet, who also dies. So what does Joe Rowling have against rabbits? Why does she hate rabbits? We want to know. Okay, I think I think what's actually happening here is rabbits are often seen as a very uh, innocent and a very kind of fragile because they are fragile in some ways. Uh, did you know if a rabbit kicks its legs hard enough, it can break its own spine? Oh my uh, god! That's why you have to be careful with them. What? These poor yeah. babies! Well, their back legs... I, okay, I should explain. I really love rabbits. I have since I was a kid. I've had three in my life, and I love them dearly. Um, they are all gone now, Aww. sadly, which is why I'm like, I am personally offended that we are bringing up dead rabbits. I'm sorry, Allison. Um, I'm sorry, okay. Allison. The sacrifice is necessary. Um, I know. Well, especially because two of them passed when I was in college Aww. and my poor dad had to call me and tell me that they were gone. It was very sad. Anyway, um, and one of them, I am pretty sure it was out of loneliness because he missed his sister, um, who he had lived with his entire life. Anyway... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so anyway, it's okay. We could just talk about how Tom Riddle's shitty if you want. Do you want to do that instead? <laughs> Is that better? Yeah. We can in a minute. Um, but rabbits are very fragile. Like, they have very fragile bones, and, like, you have to be careful with them. And like I said, if they kick too hard and, like, at the wrong angle, they can break their own spines. Um, <laughs> but uh, they are actually pretty hardy creatures in some ways like one of my rabbits was super territorial and like if you would pet her brother she would like jump at you a little bit unless she like knew who you were oh baby (laughs) she she would literally like jump at you like with like her claws out because she'd be like no like don't touch my stuff (laughs) um yeah she was she was darling um but i think they they very much kind of stand for that like they look sweet and innocent and like it's almost more of a tragedy when something horrible happens to them um so like in the case of like billy Stubbs, i feel like it is very much showing just how cruel tom riddle is at that point where he would take this innocent fluffy doesn't harm anyone creature and do something so horrific to it yeah i mean i don't want to make this about a tom riddle discussion but i have thoughts on billy Stubbs and his rabbit (laughs) What <laughs> what are your thoughts on Billy Stubbs and his rabbit? Because I have to hear this. Uh, I mean, uh, violence is typically a learned uh, trait. I, I feel like if you're going to react violently to someone, you have to at, you have to at first be shown that violence provides results. So if Tom Riddle felt threatened by Billy Stubbs in some way, he would want to show that he has superiority in some like it. In some show of power, he needs to he needs Billy Stubbs to know that, like, he cannot be messed with. So he needs to keep his distance like all of the other children. But do. Like, so taking it out on the rabbit isn't necessarily the way. best thing to do, but it also isn't attacking Billy Stubbs. 
So how much of that is sort of Voldemort's behavior where to get people to do what he wants, he attacks the people or in this case, rabbits, the person loves. Isn't this the same as like the Malfoys and playing them against each other? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to think on this one. Because I I feel like Tom Riddle is a little, like, especially at this younger age, he's showing very problematic signs, but he's not grown into being, like, a a fully grown, extremely violent psychopath. Like, his psychopathic tendencies are on the mild side, whereas later on they become, like, extremely, they become extreme. Uh, I feel like when it, uh, I think that the categorization, the categorization may have changed since the last time I checked it. It's been, like, probably around half a year to a year. But uh, last time I checked, you can either be someone who suffers from antisocial personality disorder, which is a sociopath, like because that's not actually a clinical term, or you can be an individual with psychopathic behavior. And your psychopathic behavior can be either mild or extreme. And uh, he does. I believe that he's not showing extreme psychopathic behavior as a child. He's uh, he's lashing out in, and he has psychopathic tendencies. But he's lashing out in a way that keeps himself protected. So he's trying to show the children around him that they can't hurt him or else he will hurt them back in any way possible. So he's trying to make them keep their distance because it is far safer for him to be alone and for them not to understand him than for him to let someone in and allow them to hurt him. So this is one way that he lashes out and lets that be known. Yeah, but he also hurt a bunny. So, like, I'm so anti everything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No, no, you're right. This is not good behavior. This is problematic behavior that needs to be attended to, Dumbledore. But, um... I like the there's there's a host of ways that that situation could have been tackled that it wasn't. So hindsight's 2020. <laughs> yes, but foresight could be 2020 if you're Trelawney who predicts poor Binky's death. Oh yeah, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing this back. This is one of my favorite. That was a sexy transition, and I'm very proud of it. That I will give you that transition. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> I. Yeah, it's like the one time my girl Hermione has ever let me down. <laughs> yeah, that that but was honestly, though, not honestly, her finest though, moment. She has a good point. She has a good point. Like, and I don't think she's trying to be mean about it necessarily. I think she's just trying to like calm everyone down by bringing logic to the situation where she's like, well, is that really what happened? Because like, you just got the letter today, which means that didn't necessarily, you know, like she's trying to get rid of some of the superstition. I think that creates more of the oh, fear Allison. around everything. Oh, I love yeah. the fact that you're excusing her horrible, horrible she... behavior. You <laughs> know, Please I'm continue. Not it's no, great, no, no. I love seeing this. But I'm saying, do, do continue. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that's probably where she was coming from with this. I'm not saying it was great. I'm just saying, I think that was her intention. Well, and we, it. we know Joe wants you know, it. <laughs> I love Joe, but we. She does like to kill things to prove a point, right? So, I mean, let, let's just <laughs> be honest. So, yes, yes when, she does. You know, when we're looking at symbolism for rabbits, you know, purity, the whole association with spring and Easter and rebirth, but also longevity. So, when if you're killing a rabbit, you're you're cutting off the abundance and the longevity idea the that concept so you know like it, it really is killing something so pure that um 
it's it's just you can't you can't look at it outside of just being evil. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Like I feel like it's it's almost a um a parallel to killing the unicorns. Mm-hmm. It's drinking the unicorn blood. It's just in a much much smaller scale. It's it's the it's the rule of like in Hollywood you make the bad guy kick a dog. Like it's yeah, you want right. to show that something yeah. is bad. Exactly. But so okay. But uh Binky is killed by a fox. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that if like some creature like kills a unicorn, do they also live a half-life and a cursed life? Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Because, like, I, I'm just picturing this, like, you know, wolf or whatever who, like, was just really hungry one day and then lives a cursed life. So that's a, that's real unlucky on his part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta be real hungry. But, actually, I would love to bring this back to Hermione for just a second because I feel like Hermione typically has, is – she's a very good um, – good way to judge a situation. She usually is extremely pragmatic. But this is one of the first scenes where you see her, where her pragmatism is actually getting in the way of her understanding a situation because she's questioning someone's belief system. And in doing so, she's unwittingly making an ass out of herself. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the one time she let me down. The one time. I mean, it's it's. I, I actually was very interested to read through even just that small segment of it because I feel like when it comes to Hermione, um, a lot of the parts of her are kind of uh, not beautified, but I feel like she's put into a very good light most of the time. And to see her do questionable things makes her so much more interesting to me because I am completely on Lavender's yes. side on this. I feel like Lavender has, like, every right to be upset and uh, very, very, like, feel wronged in this situation. But to see Hermione conduct herself in a way that I would consider to be, like, very bad is very cool to me. <laughs> very interesting. Well, and, and Hermione's trying to be the realist. And, you know, I keep, I, I keep, in the times we're living in right now, I keep seeing... I'm pulled in two different directions where, you know, a scientist can be very flippant and say, you know, the coronavirus is killing 1% of people in this country. It's real easy to say that. However, the other side of it is those are people, right? So when Hermione's trying to Mm -hmm. voice these things, and pragmatic is the perfect word for it. I'm glad you used that word. Um, That that was definitely, that's definitely like trying to reason through something, which is completely emotional to somebody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bad look, Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and like, I think she's also, Hermione kind of has a grudge against Trelawney. Yeah, that's apparent. So I think she's trying. Girl's got beef. She really does. <laughs> yeah. I think she's really trying to, um, like, figure that out herself, too. Hermione, we have to remember Hermione is also socially awkward, especially when she's younger. Yeah, I mean, she, she's so 14 like- at this point, so like. She's trying. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely said things I wasn't proud of at fourteen. Oh, 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 absolutely. I've got nothing but understanding for the situation because I've definitely stuck my foot in it at sometimes. But yeah, yeah. But moving onward, (laughs) the dead bunnies now. Yes. Okay. Okay. We will leave our dead bunnies in the past and move right along. Mm -hmm. Move on to something that actually eats bunnies. Yay! My girl, she's here. Sorry. Oh, it's Colin Nagini. I liked that. <laughs> Ow. I'm going to go 
I'm so happy. <laughs> well done. Well done, Jason. Oh, Nagini is so good. Nagini! Alright, just from, from a precursory uh, search on how to take care of larger snakes. We're talking about Nagini, if it wasn't clear enough from, the, from that intro. <laughs> uh, they need large enclosures with controlled climates and controlled moisture levels so that a snake can shed its skin at any time that it needs to. And I would love to put forth that I think that my boy Voldy definitely has this down. <laughs> I think that he would give Nagini whatever enclosure that she needed he would feed her whatever she need whatever live humans she needed to eat he's got that covered oh. he understands her on a spiritual level they can talk together look i think out of all the people we've listed here i think that definitely voldemort is the best pet owner wait sorry um slight digression from nagini but the controlled climates and moisture levels is that why the Chamber of Secrets is so, like, dank and damp? Is to, like, make the basilisk oh, comfortable? Maybe. Oh. That could be it. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of skin to shed. It's got to be yeah. pretty moist mm-hmm. in And there. it does shed a lot of skin, because we see, like, the shedded uh, snake skin in the chamber. I do, creepy, creepy. Yeah. I don't like snakes. Actually, I learned to love them so much more now that I'm so interested in them. <laughs> Yeah, no, I have a very Indiana Jones. Snakes. <laughs> snakes. I hate I quote snakes. that scene like so that much. that first scene in Raiders where he, like, where he, like, tries to jump out of the plane, basically, because of the snake. Like, yeah, same. Same. <laughs> I would not go on the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, which, by the way, now it's one of my favorite rides. But I wouldn't for a very long time because someone told me a snake, like, jumped out in front of you. And I was like, we're not about that life. Uh-huh. Like, we don't do that. See, I'm fine with snakes. I can't do spiders, um, which... Uh, and it, also don't like this. An, an employee at the Wizarding World really found that out to his chagrin the hard way. <gasps> oh my gosh. Way back, that reminds me of a story. Way back when... Uh, we were there for MuggleNet Live 2017, and we were introducing Katie and Beth as hosts. We went around and we did a little thing around uh, Diagon Alley, and we were in Nocturne Alley. <laughs> and there's a guy who worked there who was, like, perfectly in character. And he had the stuffed acromantula, and he kept, like, stroking it. And he was, like, be- he, he, like, asked us what house we were, and we were, like, we're Hufflepuffs. And he was, like, Hufflepuffs. I totally like, know. Who, anyway, I totally know who you're talking about. I, I you I'm know that the, guy. So I I visit there a few times a year. Um, and I'm telling you, some of those people that were there that were fixtures, I miss them. They added so much to the to the whole, yeah, the, the yeah. whole environment. Yes, he was, he was very creepy. creepy. He wouldn't leave us alone. Like, like he just kept like. <laughs> yeah totally yeah and at one point at one point we were like recording something and he like came up behind i think it was beth and he like came up behind her and just like dropped the acromantula like on her head Mm -hmm. perfectly like from behind and we all like freaked i feel robbed that i've never met this gentleman (laughs) yes i feel it wasn't that guy but uh so when i got off forbidden journey which like i already know to close my eyes during the spider part yep. like that's fine yep. but i get off and yeah one of the guys in the shop that um you know forbidden journey lets out into had a stuffed uh acromantula uh, and was just putting it on people's shoulders so he put it on my shoulder oh, uh-uh. and i spazzed the f- out like i lost my shit on this poor guy i just started like flailing and screaming profanity at him and just oh my god yeah it 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 wasn't pretty i um yeah i i always close my eyes on forbidden journey for the the acromantulas and the dementors yeah. so like 
There's a whole chunk yeah. of that red. I don't think I've ever. Oh my seen goodness! Because I like shut my eyes. Yeah, you poor um, babies. And then I just I don't deal with those. And when I went to the studio tour and the Forbidden uh, Forest edition last time I was there, it's so funny because they specifically have a path you can take that bypasses the acromantulas because so many people. Yes. Are oh yes. I did that. Massive. I 100% did that at the studio tour. I'm like, I, I heard the scuttling and I'm like, nope, nope, we ain't doing that. Yeah. I, I decided to be a Gryffindor that day and I like went through actually, but I like went through very quickly and I was like holding on to like my sister-in-law and my mom's hands. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. Oh my <laughs> God. I would love to see that. That sounds super interesting to me. It It's a cool bit of like building. Like I appreciate it for that, but also it scares the crap out how, of me. How did we get oh, on this subject? <laughs> We're uh, talking about Nagini uh, and yeah. snakes and spiders. Okay, so. right, right. Back to Nagini. Back to Nagini. a specific snake that terrifies us. Oh, I love us. her. <laughs> I I have a lot of questions now about Yeah, me Nagini. too. <laughs> because, um, first of all, I just want to rub it in once again that I was right that Joe Rowling had a lot of influence on the Cursed Child script because I just read the background book and you can see my whole Instagram live video about it. Um, and uh, this was a specific thing that they mentioned was that uh, they were talking about Astoria and how Astoria would fit in. And they were like, and Joe gave the idea that she had died from this blood malediction. So I'm like, all right, my theory until I am proven wrong, like completely proven wrong is that Astoria Greengrass Malfoy is somehow a descendant of Nagini. How? I don't know. Cause we haven't gotten there yet, <laughs> but <laughs> that is my theory. But I'm very interested in this idea of the maledictus and like, because the Nagini, the snake we know, seems very different from the Nagini, the person we know. So I want to know what happens to change you that way. Like, is it something that happens to her as a person? Or does she just so completely become this snake that, like, the person part of her is completely gone? And I just, like, have so many questions. I'd like to think that she still has, like, her, at least somewhat of her her human self left. Because I feel like it's such a waste to introduce this new character that I feel like is actually very interesting and then not have this character really like be a part of these other this this other storyline that you've now that you've already developed. But how tortured how tortured would you have to be to lose yourself completely? I mean, isn't that isn't that part of the the tragedy of her character or could it be the tragedy of her character i guess you would say that's what i'm thinking i mean it's possible but the i feel like we've already seen her her character endure so much tragedy mm-hmm. with um with losing credence and we're not even certain it, what how they were involved whether it was romantically or whether they were just friends and they were they just cared very deeply for one another um, but I feel like there's there are things that can shape her character from here on out that could make her into someone far more cold. And yeah. that is that's the arc that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. to be Me honest too. with you. I want to yeah. see her change as a human being, not change due to just something that she has. Yeah, I I get the feeling that something's going to happen to her to make her be more the type of person that would align with. Hell yeah. Voldemort. Because I th- I think, because we know, in at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, she is very much yeah. 
anti-Grindelwald, you know? Like, she tries to get Credence to come back and, like, to not go with him. So so I am very curious to see what journey she's going to take. I have a feeling that a lot of the characters in this series are going to take some very dark journeys and have some very dark endings. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I definitely think that, that Nagini's probably in for a super rough ride. And I feel like by the end of this series, she may very well be one of the main influences on Tom to be like, this is the right direction to go. Mm-hmm. I've seen people go the wrong direction. Man, it's real bad. And I want I want to know does he know that like she was That's what I want to know too. Like, like, oh. oh my god. I have so many questions. It's all questions at this point. <laughs> but why I brought up the cursed child thing is again, I'm pretty sure Joe has this plot pretty pretty figured out if that's what came <sighs> to mind already was. <laughs> Sorry. She's she's got ideas for this. Like this idea is there. And I am holding to my theory that Astoria is somehow related until I'm completely proven wrong. We've all, we're all out our crazy theories. I, I definitely think that it's worth looking at. <laughs> like, I, I have a theory completely unfounded, but I have a theory that I think that by the end of Fantastic Beasts, I think Tom Riddle is going to kill Jacob. But there's Ooh. absolutely Ooh. zero evidence supporting that. So there's, I mean, I'll, I'll call it Not now. Her. Maybe it'll happen. So I, I have no idea. I just feel like it, it fits the narrative and it fits the characters. I guess we're going to have to wait. <laughs> let's, let's move on, though. I, I love talking about Nagini, but we definitely anyway. have another one of my favorite girls here, Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris. I love her so much. I, like, I, there's no reason I should. She's definitely portrayed as a villain. I love her ridiculously, though. I feel, I feel a spiritual yes. connection with this cat because, like, she's as, as angry and sassy as I would probably be if I saw people mistreating my owner. <laughs> owner, quote unquote. Because they're definitely just like, they're just pals. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I do love the theory that she's a maledictus as well, though. I mean, I I, I do love that theory. I, it it makes it that much more, cre- him him that much more creepier to me. Yeah. There, that is that theory that she's either Filch's wife or love or somehow, and somehow she turned into a cat and she can't be transformed mm-hmm. back. And... That is really interesting. Yeah, that's that's one of the more interesting theories that I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> and no one ever tries to treat her with any kind of no. kindness, which like I feel like is... No, oh, I was that... just agreeing with you. There is no kindness towards her. Yeah, ever. but listen, some cats are evil. My aunt had a cat, used to have a cat that was like pure evil, like would not let anyone approach it. And like, luckily its front claws were declawed because when one of my cousins was a baby, he was learning to crawl and like he kicked and the cat was behind him and the cat literally like attacked my cousin's foot. Wow. Like, Aww. There are evil cats out there. I, well, I mean, maybe there's some cats that just find it difficult to trust a lot of people. Cause I know that when I was growing up, our family cat uh, it was like an, an older male cat who just like, I don't know if he went through so much just as a kitten when he was very young, where he didn't trust a lot of people. And he tended to attack a lot of visitors if they tried to get close to him. But he was very, very affectionate with like the, the entire family, but especially my father. So I, cats just are like some of them are very slow to trust. I think that's just a reflection of just individuals in general. And, like, Mrs. Norris could definitely be in this way. Like, you have to earn her trust. You have to, like, be there and and actually be kind to her for a long period of time for her to even show that she has interest in you. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. 
And just, I love, like, the disproportionate hatred that so many students have towards Mrs. Norris. Like, I feel like they hate her so much more than they actually hate Filch. I, that is one of my, one of the lines that I'm like, oh my gosh, is the line where it's like, it was the dearest ambition of many students to kick her. Yeah, to give Mrs. Norris a good kick. (laughs) And then, and then like, Mrs. Norris, when they get the invisibility cloak, Rod is always like, oh, let's kick her. Oh, just this once. Oh my God, Ron. I love Ron, but there are times when I'm just like, Ron, why are you like yeah, this? Yeah, And it's only two years later when Ron is like, well, Hermione doesn't care about other people's pets. Well. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, like, the the only time, like, anyone is ever, um, like, thought to maybe express affection for Mrs. Norris is a hypothetical by Ron, where um, Mrs. Norris is petrified in Chamber of Secrets, and Ron is like, oh, Ginny's upset because she really loves cats. And nope, not even that time. But he also says, like, you didn't know her yet. We're better off with (laughs) (laughs) That's so sad. I love that cat. Yeah. Do do you think Filch would like it if students tried to get close to Mrs. Norris, or would he be totally jealous? He would, I, I think that's part of the reason why she doesn't get close to anyone else is because she hears Filch complain about them all the time. Right. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> anyway. And so it's interesting that um, the two squibs we meet um, both have the initials AF and both have um, a strange connection to cats. Yes. I, first of all, Mrs. Fig is a nasal breeder and also... Mr. Tibbles on the case. Like, can I get a show of, like, this detective cat? Like, that is called Mr. Tibbles on the case? Yes. Because, like, I Mr. Tibbles it. is like, a I, fabulous I name, it. and I will stand by that till my yes. dying day. Yes, it is. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mr. Tibbles on the case. Like, man, what a great No, but, but I, I want, like, a whole, like, Scooby gang of, like, all her cats working together to solve yes. mysteries. You know, like... Tufty yes. and uh, Mr. Tibbles and all the rest of them whose names I don't remember. I one of them's like Paws something like I don't like know. Mr. Paws or yeah yeah some I don't know yeah I need it yes the Neasel Gang yes <laughs> honestly they should they should just have like short films of this like before all the Fantastic Beast movies like you know how they Listen. always have like the short films of like Scrat's adventures before the Ice Age movies. Mm-hmm. I want the exact same thing with yeah. Mrs. Fig's cat. Listen, if you make fan films, please start making these. Yes, if you make fan films, please make it with five cats. I'm sure that won't be hard at all. I'm gonna do a shameless transition here, and I would love to add Fang to this uh, group of random short films that you guys are now planning. Yes, because Fang has one of my, oh my favorite gosh. character tropes. Where it's just literally I just like it. big, big mean, but very, very soft. Very soft child. I, and I love how affectionate Fang is towards the trio. Yeah, he's like, literally like the symbolism about, of Hagrid. He's, he's a stand Yeah, like the him. door opens and Fang like jumps on one of them. Or Fang is always like resting his head on one of their laps and like slobbering all over their robes. And they're like, hi Fang. <laughs> like they don't, it's so well, cute. Well, it's, it's because Harry is always feeding him to like get him to calm down. So that just reinforces that. Like, at one point, didn't he give him, like, uh, treacle to, like, glue his fangs together so he'd stop barking? so that they can go into the forest, yeah. (laughs) Poor Poor fang. Actually, I would love to talk about this note that I see here. Is this from you, Jason, with the breed-specific stereotypes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when... when... What is is fangs breed again? Bloodhound? No, what is he? uh, um, 
He's a boar hound, isn't I he? I think that's what he calls him, but is he really a uh, mastiff of some kind, I think? Um, I think that's in the movie. Yeah, there, so, I mean, there's just... Uh, this was just a general comment now because there's up. a lot of breed-specific stereotypes that people just make assumptions about. You know, we hear a lot about pit bulls being, you know, vicious, and some people have them and they're, they're not, um, you know, and, and things like that. So... It's just, you know, there's this big, giant, dark dog, and yet it's the most cuddly, scaredy-cat thing you can possibly find in the oh, series. I say, you I know? Know. Absolutely. So in the novels, Fang is said to be a boarhound or a Great Dane, which, like, wouldn't have ever put that together. Um, in the films, he's portrayed by a Neapolitan Mastiff. Yeah, he, yeah. And he's got all those wrinkles, mm-hmm. and he's so cute. <laughs> he's such a good boy. Oh, it's ridiculous. So I mean, it's so strange because those larger breeds, aren't they usually like the more gentle ones? I mean, they seem to be. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with what selective breeding, you know, over centuries, humans have selected all these, these traits that they want to use, that they want to see in a dog breed for human use, you know, so you know, St. Bernard's are big and, you know, because they're, they're living in mountains and, you know, that was their original, you know, it's kind of weird to see one in the middle of Florida, you know, <laughs> like they just don't do very well there, but they're, they're, you know, they're there to save people. They're, they're good. They're loyal dogs. Um, but we also breed a lot of traits into dogs over the centuries that just aren't good. You know, pugs, Pugs are adorable, yeah. but pugs are a genetic nightmare. They have all three types of dwarfism, which is why they have the shrunken face, you know, the flattened face and the short legs and just the overall body is smaller. Um, and you know, with, with those traits that we see, those bring around, those bring a, you know, other traits along with them when they're breeding over generations. So, you know, um, but there's just, there's, there's these, um, these personalities that these breeds have that are stereotypical that we usually will say, you know, this is great with kids or this is great for apartments or, you know, this needs a, a, a big yard, you know, things like that. Those, those traits, um, are all human selected over the, over the years when they're uh, being, mm-hmm. when they're being bred. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So th- would that kind of be the case with Fang then? Like there's a lot of traits that are reflective of like kind of what Hagrid loves and needs and essentially. Mm-hmm. I I think that Fang is a good, um, it, it mirrors Hagrid's personality, right? Big, looks big and scary, but a big softy on the inside. Oh my God, I love Fang. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a fluffer. He's a, he's a good him. boy. I'm yeah. jumping around a little bit here, guys. If you guys have anyone that you particularly want to take a look at, feel I really free want to, to talk bring about Arnold. I yeah. really want to talk about Arnold. I really want to talk about Arnold. But first of all, should we just mention the opposite of Fang, which is the really bad dogs we have? <laughs> yeah, let's keep talking about Did you about mean dogs. serious? Excuse <laughs> well, me? Well, first of all, I've read that fanfic, but no. Um... <laughs> I had Aunt Marge's Ripper in mind. Oh, oh he's just I terrible. had nothing on her. <laughs> <laughs> just terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, because Aunt Marge, talk of breeding, like, breeds dogs, um, and she's terrible, and her dogs are terrible. Um, yeah. It's just a reflection of her inner self. <laughs> I also just, I can only yeah. think of the movie that, like, you want to drop a brand new, you want to drop a brand new. <laughs> it's just so gross. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. They did such a great it, job of making her gross. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and it is such a good reflection of her because, like, um, they give him a saucer um, of something to drink, and he just, like, splashes yeah, everything all over the floor, and Aunt Petunia's wincing so and being like, yeah, yeah, that's Aunt Marge. It's gross. Also, like, Aunt Marge would totally, like, bark at Harry for, like, 12 hours to keep oh, him yeah. up a tree. Disgusting. Uh, the worst. God, reading that part of the book is painful. It's just painful. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about the littlest but the best. Arnold the Pygmy Puff. Arnold the Pygmy Puff! <laughs> <laughs> I just love Pygmy Puffs and Puff Skeens in general. Like, guys, yeah. have you ever hugged one of the ones from Universal? Like, the the puffskin-sized ones that you just, like... They're very cute. bury your whole body in yeah. because they're so um, I don't, but I definitely have several um, pygmy puffs at home. Uh, the first one I got, I named Arnold the Third. Nice. In honor of Arnold. <laughs> I don't I don't remember what happens to the second, but I do know mine is Arnold the Third. Third has a bit of gravity to it. I, yeah. I enjoy that Th- yeah. very That's much what so. I thought. I need to yeah. get a pygmy puff. I haven't yet. I got one for my niece, but I need to get my own. Is it weird that, like, I, I I think that they're adorable and I love the concept of them, but, like, we get so little about them. It's just like, they're cute. That's a thing. Yeah, but there I'm go. still ride or die. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, he's just, like, chilling on Ginny's shoulder all the time. Like, how cool is that? It's just a little yeah. baby poof. Yeah. Well, and if we extend the whole pets reflect their owners thing, I think that means that Arnold is tiny yet ferocious. Yes. Just oh, yes. like Ginny. Yeah. One can only hope. Love that. And it kind yes. of reminds me of, like, obviously, like, what the twins did is, like, how, like, dwarf rabbits... Here I am talking about rabbits again. Um, <laughs> like, dwarf rabbits and, like, dwarf dogs and, you know, like, all of these specifically being bred to be tiny and small versions of things. <laughs> yeah, so Pygmy Puffs, um, Fred and George described them as miniature puff skeins, which puff skeins are, like, an adorable, big, floofy pet that wizards have. And Pygmy Puffs are just, like, tiny ones. How long um, does that take? Like, how long do you think that took them, Jason? Since you're the biologist. <laughs> well, bre- I mean, selective breeding usually takes generations. So, you know, uh, it, it, yeah, many generations, most likely. I mean, it, it really depends on if a mutation shows up. And it's a desirable mutation where, you know, like small size, for example, then often they'll line breed. So they'll breed them back to one of their parents or something like that, which, you know, sounds gross in human terms, but we're talking about animals here. Um, And then they will continue to breed those together um, in order to perpetuate that particular physical trait. So it it could it could be several generations. um, But I know so. Didn't somebody breed fancy pygmy puffs or something like that? Hippogriffs, right? Or yeah, I'm Newt thinking hippogriffs. Mother. Was hippogriffs, yeah. yeah. So same, same along the same lines. Can I just read the entry for Puffskeen and Fantastic Beasts? Because, like, you guys. <laughs> yes. The Puffskeen is found worldwide. Spherical in shape and covered in soft, custard-colored fur, it is a docile creature that has no objection to being cuddled or thrown about. Oh my god. Easy to care for, it emits a low humming noise when contented. From time to time, a very long, thin, pink tongue will emerge from the depths of the Puffskeen and snake through the house searching for food. The Puffskeen is a scavenger that will eat anything from leftovers to spiders, but it has a particular preference for sticking its tongue up the nose of sleeping wizards and eating their bones. <laughs> (laughs) This tendency has 
made the puff scheme much beloved by wizarding children for many generations, and it remains a highly popular wizarding pet. Guys, I want a puff scheme. <laughs> what a weird yeah. creature. Holy but, hell. But guys, and isn't Ginny the one that's like all about the bad bogey hex? Yes. What is it with Ginny yes. boogers? Like, love- what? Well, but also... It. Ginny, calm down. Ron, guys, according to Fantastic Beasts, Ron had yeah. one of them once, and, and what happened to it? Fred practice. used it for bludger practice. <laughs> oh my god, that's just, that's horrifying. That's some Tom Riddle level of, like, butcher. <laughs> but... Do you think that's what inspired Fred and George to make Pygmy Puffs? Maybe. And they're like, we need puff skeins that are smaller, but also really durable. Yeah. So I bet, like, Small, Arnold could totally withstand bludger well, practice. able to be beaten. <laughs> we also know, I think the few times we do see Arnold... Harry mentions that he's humming, so like obviously Arnold is very happy with Ginny. Like, well, okay, that's that's oh. Arnold and Gin- Ginny's hands, though. Like, we're talking about Fred and George destroying another pygmy puff. <laughs> yeah, that's horrifying. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought pretty... this up because that is a dark trait, yeah. my friend. The twins did some pretty that terrible things trait. to Ron as a child. <laughs> they did. Uh, God. And so maybe. <laughs> So uh, Ginny tells Romilda Vane that Ron has a tattoo of a pygmy puff, <laughs> and maybe she thought Ron would get this tattoo in honor of his dearly departed puff scheme. Uh, but she didn't say where. <laughs> 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 I love that. Anyway, Me I'm too. ride or die for Arnold, too. Love yes, it. so am I. Arnold love is my favorite. I'm so glad this conversation introduced me to the fact that Fred is so very dark. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. There's times when I think that Tom Riddle would just be proud of other characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. We I am I I digress in a conversation yeah, no, like, that is already is, too long I- and I'm sorry. Um <laughs> This is why I loved Fred Hermione as a couple. Oh my gosh. Like, they are terrifying together. Like, they would rule the world. <laughs> yeah. Just gonna leave that there. Have we hit everything? Weird ships, um, fanfic requests. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think uh, that it would topic. be super cool to, to talk about this Magical Preacher's point that's here. Yeah. Well, this is this uh, is this is right up my alley because I basically do this um, for a living. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I I was curious, you know, we 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 didn't see care of magical creatures a lot outside of the Hagrid sphere. Um, we saw Grubbly Plank taking over some lessons here and there, and they were pretty benign. But um, I was just curious, you know, are they learning about these types of things that we discussed today in their care of magical creatures class, or is it? things that you would find more in the Fantastic Beasts books um, since they don't use that book for this class anyway. I feel like it would be more along the lines of Fantastic specifically magical creatures. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe just my biology classes. I didn't learn how to take care of like dogs and stuff. <laughs> I wish I had because I want one a lot. Um, but it was more like yeah. I feel like too they the Care of Magical Creatures, in some ways, is supposed to also focus on, like, anatomy of animals and, like, evolution of mm-hmm. animals and, like, biosystems, you know, and, like, but well, in the magical but, like, terms. The the title of the class is literally Care of Magical Creatures. Yeah. So I think it, it's much more, like, focused on, like, how to, like, take care of the creatures than, like, biology, which is, like, more how to take them yeah. apart. Because <laughs> they were feeding wood lice to the um, bow truckles. 
So it, yeah. it just seemed like, yeah. but that, but once again, that wasn't Hagrid. <laughs> that was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, I listen. I'm going to stand up for Hagrid and his teaching here. Hagrid teaches things he's passionate about, which is like important in a teacher. He also like tries to find things that will interest his students. Sometimes, sure, is he off the mark about that? Yes, but like he's specifically looking for things that like students will be interested in, and like. He tries, you know, like, and he fails miserably. Well, and that, that is the type that is the type of teacher I am. I mean, I I I totally support Hagrid and <laughs> everything that he does within within like, reason. I, really I, I, think, I support none of it. The thing about Hagrid is that I feel like he'd be an amazing teacher in a few years. I feel like he's right now. He's still getting his sea legs when it comes to like teaching kids, he especially needs some about pedagogy. Like, like, yes. What was that? I'm sorry. He needs some pedagogy training. That's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's so, it. Uh, Jason, I wanted to ask you, um, how, like, would one decide the curriculum for a class like Caramagical Creatures? Like, because at Hogwarts, it's sort of like, whatever the professor wants to do. Like, he teaches, you know, whatever. But, like, if you are making a curriculum for a Caramagical Creatures class, and you have, like, you know, 90 whatever Fantastic Beasts in the book, uh, but you can only teach, like, a dozen of them, like, how would you do it? Would you do, like, the most common creatures, the most dangerous ones? Would you, like, try to do one that's, like, representative of, like, a certain class of creature? Well, it would it would depend. I mean, it because there's no post-secondary school, per se, after Hogwarts, it seems like this is more of a trade school. Like, they're learning practical applications for the real world because they could go right into mm. a career from Hogwarts. And so, mm-hmm. um, it seems to me that, you know, they would probably decide on things that they would come into contact with that, you know, they may need to encounter on a regular basis, which is why Hagrid's, Hagrid's lessons seem to be such a departure from that, according to the student, you know, through the student lens, at least. But, yeah. um, you know, when I, at the university, when I teach my zoo biology class, we're it's very practical because these are these are students who are going to go into animal care and animal management, and so we're going to talk about you know how do you how do you use genetics to answer questions about animal populations, and how do you you know look at nutrition, and how can you give them the most natural diet possible and and satisfy all of their nutritional needs, you know things like that. So it really depends on if you're doing a theoretical class. Or if you're doing a practical class when it comes to curriculum. Mm. See, what I'm getting from this is that you, Jason, how now have to teach a, a magical creatures class to all of the people in the wizarding world that don't know what the hell they're doing <laughs> because True. they didn't have any extra training after Hogwarts. That's what I'm getting. I'm, I'm but a muggle, so <laughs> oh, no. not, not sure I could do they're that. They're lost but. for good. <laughs> we, we would never say such a thing on this podcast. No. No muggles allowed. No, but we could do we could do an entire podcast just on like care of magical creatures class. Like what would be involved, for, for what real. things would be taught, you know, what things were taught and should they have been taught? You know, there's a lot of questions. Uh, as a teacher, I cringe <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, oh, I would so do this, but not in this way, you know? Yeah. Can this please be an episode? <laughs> I would like, love to have you lead this episode. <laughs> I would yes, love okay. to be a fly on the this wall of gonna... this discussion. <laughs> Yeah, th- this gonna happen. I would love it. We should do an episode on teaching in general mm-hmm. at Hogwarts. Ooh. Oh God, <laughs> there, there's so some teachers that are just so bad at it. Yeah, 
I know I've heard, I've listened to podcasts where they're describing um, the evaluation methods of Umbridge, and I'm oh, screaming gosh. out loud, like, yes, I know. this happens in the real world. It's the worst. I freaking it hate is. evaluations. It is. It's the worst. It is. Well, if you if you have a boss and not a leader, it it's it's rough. They're even if they are good, I still am just so intimidated yeah, it's, every time because I'm like, ah! yeah, that's what if the kids don't do stressful. things right? It's so stressful. It's so stressful. <laughs> I'm feeling the aftershock pain of two teachers, just like oh, never again, <laughs> never again. Yeah. Right, and Grace and I are here. We're like, it's okay. It will be okay. It's okay. You're in a safe space now, guys. It's all right. I promise. <laughs> Uh, what else have we got here, guys? I think that's um, about. I think I think that's a, yeah, good, that's a place good place to, to end it. Um, that we all want to take care of magical creatures from Jason, uh, <laughs> so we know how to take care of all these fantastic mm-hmm. beasts, and then we can all have our own awesome. Pets. I want to take a class with Jason, <laughs> even if he's a Muggle, he probably knows more about <laughs> magical creatures than most wizards I, do. I totally, I totally want to do an online class for this now. You know, like I totally want to do that. That'd be amazing. Uh, please do, and we, I'd we, and up. all of Alhamora yep. will come attend this class yeah, It'll I, got, be- I really gotta think about this this would be fun <laughs> hey we're all at home yes. we all have and time. luckily you have lots of time <laughs> yeah. jason thank you so much for joining us for this episode it was so great having you on mm-hmm. thank you yes and hopefully we can do this all again soon oh i hope so yeah jason you were incredible thank you yeah. that was that was very educational and fun thank you that's what i'm here for all right uh, the next chapter will be a chapter revisit of Goblet of Fire, chapter 15, Beaubeton and Durmstrang. I'm going to start singing that soundtrack. If you want to be <laughs> on that episode or on any of our upcoming episodes, go ahead and visit our website, alohomorapodcast.com, and choose to be on the show. Just follow the instructions, send us your audition. And you just need a microphone and headphones, and we'll walk you through the rest if you're chosen to guest host. Don't forget as well, go to our Topic Submit page. Tell us what you want to hear us talk about in future episodes. Also, send us an email or a message somehow if you've got something that you want to be included in our Mora uh, <laughs> bonuses for the next little while. Um let us help you yeah. get through self-isolation. <laughs> Guys, we we have so much time to kill. We have so much time to kill and we've, we need to talk. Yeah, we've we've got some good stuff coming up, but like, let us know what you want to. <laughs> yeah, we're here to help. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to chat with us, you can contact us on Twitter or Instagram at MN at facebook.com slash openthedumbledore. Our website is alohomorapodcast.com, where we want to see all your comments on the episodes. Uh, we have a YouTube at youtube.com slash alohomora. You can email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we've been trying to build ourselves up on Spotify lately. So we are now on Spotify as Alohomora MN, and we have playlists. Yeah. So, like, if you, like me, are just going back through old Alohomora episodes to, like, fill the days, because I've been <laughs> listening to so many old episodes. Um, they are a lot yeah, of fun. Uh, I'll give it that. They're yeah, good. that'll give you um, sort of a place to start and a way to, you know, organize them. And one more reminder to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Alohomora. Thanks again to Danielle Cooper for sponsoring this episode. Sponsor us for as low... Yay! Yay! Danielle Cooper! 
Uh, sponsor us for as low as $1 a month, and be sure to check out our higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office. Episode sponsoring, decals, and much more to come. Lots of good stuff coming soon, guys, mm-hmm. so make sure you go so, get on so Patreon. So much stuff, guys. So much yeah. stuff. <laughs> I, and with that, we're going to go tend to our magical pets. Mm-hmm. I'm Allison. I'm Grace. And I'm Irvin. Thank you for listening to episode 295 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Got it. All right. See, this is why I was nervous about this. I knew I would botch it, so I'm happy. Thank you. But yeah, like Jason, imagine like you're talking to people at a Harry Potter con. It's essentially what it is. <laughs> in a loincloth or not in a loincloth? What? A <laughs> uh, plus loincloth, uh, preferably. That's actually what they sent me the first time I was on, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Allison, that will be explained for the listeners. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. I am happy. Anyway. I'm happy to. Ex- I'm happy to explain that because it's the first and only time that's ever happened. <laughs> You're explaining it in the episode, bud. There's no. There's no avoiding this. Jason, yeah. also make sure you jump in whenever you have anything to say. Like push us out of the way. I work with. I work with teenagers. I'm. I'm good at this. Yeah, okay. especially because you've got me and Urban on an episode, and we tend to like get into things. Yeah. So. Because we agree on nothing. Except and for that fudge sucks. We agree on that. I'm new to this, but uh, I promise you, I'm going to make it weird. <laughs> I, this is a guarantee, guys. All right, here we- okay. All right, Grace. I'm so Intro sorry. Intro us in. Okay, I'm ready. One more time. We can get this.